Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They're the in crowd. We're the other ones. It's a different kind of cloth that we're cut from. We let our color show where the numbers ain't. With the paint where there ain't supposed to be paint. That's who we are. This is the Mike Keller Show. That's how we roll. Call the show at 877-729-1070. Send a tweet at Mike Keller Show. Now, here's Mike Keller. I will get high. Hey, welcome in on a Get Me Through a Wednesday on the Mike Heller Show. It is a day closer to the NFL Draft and the 29th selection of the NFL Draft. If you're an overall draft fan, tomorrow night is really a lot of fun. If you're just in for your team, and a lot of us are that way. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to hide from it. I am that way. I'm interested in what the Packers are doing. I pay basic attention to the rest of it. But some people are into it uh, at all levels, and that is uh, it's like a holiday that takes place over the next three days beginning tomorrow night with round one. I'm less interested, um, far more interested in the games uh, that are happening now. And there are uh, games happening today. Major League Baseball Brewers wrapping up a home series against the Cincinnati Reds, a team that the Brewers never want to leave. The Brewers have have offered up full-time housing and hotel arrangements for the Cincinnati Reds, if they'll just stay in Milwaukee, because they have had their way with the Reds. So you got that today. The Bucks and Raptors tomorrow night. We've got stuff to talk about, draft stuff to talk about, Eric Thames and Brewer stuff to talk about. And John, we just have stuff. I'm Mike Heller. That's John Otis. Hey, John. Hey, fellas. What's up? Michael Beller will join us later on in this hour of the program. He of Sports Illustrated penned a piece uh, that ran yesterday at ESPN.com. Uh, about or at sportsillustrated.com rather on uh, on the happenings with Eric Thames and why his run so far this season is not just a hot streak anomaly. We'll get into more of that detail coming up. It ended last night in the NBA. It ended for the Oklahoma City Thunder. It may end for the Milwaukee Bucks tomorrow night. May end. We'll find out as we get closer. We've got some stuff to cover, John, if you're ready. This is the Big Two at Two. The top two trending sports stories this hour. Number two. Here's what's trending this hour. All right, number two in our Big Two at Two, Mike. Do you have a problem with Russell Westbrook not shaking hands after the Rockets eliminated the Thunder from the NBA playoffs? Define have a problem with. How does it make you feel? Do you feel like that is the wrong thing to do in that situation? Do you feel like it's acceptable? Well, okay, so here's everything's acceptable. It's it's on him. I mean, that's that's a that's a Russell Westbrook decision. You have uh, John. Just say you have banks, uh, two separate banks. One that adds uh, credit 
when you gain respect, one that takes away credit or debits your respect account. So if you have two bank accounts, um, you know, you, you can... And it's really just one bank account. It's called the Respect Bank account. Okay. You can credit that or debit that based on what you do. Russell Westbrook on the court uh, mainly credits that Respect account because he's a, he's a very good player. Uh, sometimes he will debit that by doing certain things he does that is uh, making it one-dimensional about how he plays the game. But from a Respect level, more about off the court, the way he handles the media in press conferences, that's a debit. The way he walked off the court last night when they lost, that's a debit. With some of his television commercials, those are credits. It shows personality, shows he can be funny, self-deprecating, a bit humorous. Those are credits. Last night's a debit. It takes from the account. It, uh, it's, it's a withdrawal in my respect for Russell Westbrook. He doesn't have to stay on the court. He doesn't. Hey, LeBron James didn't. When was that? A couple of years ago, they lost in the NBA Finals. Yeah, everybody freaked out. It take it takes away from the account. It's a withdrawal when you walk off and you don't show that level of sportsmanship. Now, some people don't care. Some athletes don't care. But don't tell me, hey, people, uh, the media doesn't respect me. Blah blah blah. If you treat them poorly, and then in last night's case, I don't know that anybody gets mistreated. When Westbrook walks off the court, however, it does debit that account of respect that I have for Russell Westbrook. I like to think that top athletes, and they're they're not, but that top athletes are able to handle losing with class. To me, that's what it's about. And sure, I'm 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 with you. I think it's probably a debit. I think the question is how much of a debit is it? Like on the scale of things that he would do, where you start pulling out of that fund for Russell Westbrook of the respect fund. How much of a debit was it? Because to me, it is. I don't know if it's significant. I don't think it is. I would have. I like. I like my. Here's what. Here's my bottom line. I like my athletes to try to lose with class. And when you walk off the floor and you don't, I, sh- I thought you just liked your athletes to try to lose because you're a Vikings fan. <laughs> <laughs> you are a funny one, Mike. Um, try to lose with class. And so when I see someone walk off a court like that and not shake hands with anybody. There's a little respect loss. I said, come on, man. Come on. Just just shake the hands, deal with it, and leave. You can still be upset and unhappy with the ultimate result. Like, for example, Cam Newton. Just oh, just answer the questions. You don't have to give two-second answers. You can give, like, nine-second answers. We still know you're upset that you lost, and then you can leave. I just That's the way I like to yeah, think it's, my it's, athletes should handle themselves. It's a withdrawal from the respect account for those athletes. And in a grand, grander scheme of that, John, I don't want my athletes that, that I'm a fan of to enjoy losing. <laughs> I don't want them to practice it. I don't want them to get good at, at handling losing. I want, I want it to be a rare commodity. But when they lose, and I don't want the mandate, you know, that good game, good game, good game, good game, good game, like when they're walking through the line you see in college games, high school games, when they're just forced to do it, but last night when Westbrook walked off the court, I didn't go, oh, look at that loser. What a jerk. He's a fake and a phony, and I hate him forever. 
I just said, you know, like, it's, on, just you, go you, shake the hands. Just you go lose, give it a couple... you lose a little bit from the respect account when you don't handle it better. And you don't even, cause especially then in the NBA, obviously, like we talked about, good game, good game, good game, different from college. You don't have to go and shake everyone's hands. No. You can just give a couple of hugs to some There's players. A couple of guys, if you if yeah. you could have walked up to uh, D'Antoni, uh, the Houston coach, maybe and, said something like, "Yeah, hey, we're going to get you next give, year. Give you guys played hug. well." Or uh, it could have been that he did it for <laughs> whoever. It's easy. We. It, Sam Decker. He could have walked up to Sam Decker and said, Sam. At the same time, I get it. What like, do you get? I, I get that that's how you and I, at least, I think, agree, want our athletes to handle themselves. Not everybody's the same. You know, I, 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 I would challenge, some people I, get really upset and they can't is, handle it. My guess is is that uh, most people don't look at Westbrook walking off and go and say, hey, that's a good, solid quality move. I think for from nearly everybody, there's a debit on the respect account of Westbrook when he walks off last night. Nearly everyone. I can't imagine who would say, no, I gained respect when he did that. <laughs> really? Come on, man. Number one. But it's better than the pregame handshake line. Gluck, 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 uh, all right, Mike, I don't think he's hit one today, although it is 9-3, the Brewers leading the Reds in the fourth Singled inning. Singled and walked twice. All right, so, but last night, Eric Thames hit another bomb. He did it. Major League leading 11th home run of the season for Thames. Here is how it sounded, Mike, on Fox Sports Wisconsin. Matt LePay with the call. A strike pitch to Thames and a fly ball. Back into right field. Shevler going back at the wall. That's 11, number 11. Afterwards, Major League Baseball is like, eh, we're going to need a drug test. I think it's his third this season, second this month, if I'm not mistaken. Second this month for Thames. And afterwards, he talked about the hot start to the year and, of course, the tests for Major League Baseball. This whole thing is surprising to me as well. You know, like I really have no goals for this year. You know, I wasn't, I'm not trying to break any records or set anything. Or I just want to apply what I learned in Korea to see how it would fare here. And, you know, so I'm shocked at all the results. I'm just here to, to play ball and um, do my best to stay healthy and stretch as much as I can. So, yeah, so if people keep thinking I'm on stuff, like I'll, I'll be here every day. I have, I have lots of blood and urine, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think his attitude and how he is uh how he's dealt with this has been uh really good. And this is the way he was in spring training. This is the way he was at the introductory press conference in Milwaukee when he was introduced and everybody kinda knew, hey, this guy will be a media favorite and if he plays well, a fan favorite. Nobody, nobody, nobody thought he would play this well. Uh I called it Two uh, months what? ago, oh, I did not, not at all. No, you're what? right. It's what? it's such an amazing start for Thames. You gotta love that attitude as a Brewers fan to hear him say, "I've got all that." What did he say about blood and urine? What was I the got, exact? I, I got a lot I got of blood, blood and urine. urine. <laughs> so, if you want to test me, go ahead. I'll be here every day. Um, well, two things. Of course, we've heard athletes lie before, especially in Milwaukee. Right? We've heard Ryan Braun say, "I did not do that," and then we find out, well, yeah, actually, I did do that. So keeping that in mind, um, that's a pretty ballsy move. Like if if Thames is truly on something, which you and I both agree, we're not we're not calling him out on it. Not saying that he is for sure, but I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Only one person does know for sure. Um, so if he's truly not on anything, 
I love it because he's saying, hey, come, come, come test me. I don't care. I'm good to go. And that as a fan, um, I, I see that along with the personality and, and the way that he says it. And I love it. Now, if for some reason there is a test, <laughs> it's failed. Which so far he's been clear. I was, I'm guessing we probably would have heard something. Um, then that stuff can come back to haunt you. So I would hope that maybe as an athlete well, you learn second. your well, lesson. What does it come back to haunt? Well, it comes back to haunt you. We're like, oh, I thought I thought you had your blood and urine that we could test every day if what you wanted. You, okay, so it makes him out to sound like a liar. That's what I'm saying when I said I come back. It would come back he's to being, haunt you. He's being asked these questions. How is he in press conferences and about the lackey and Basio comments? What would he possibly say different than what? If, I, I'm not okay, trying wait, to pick a fight here, but you said these comments might come back to haunt him. He's got no choice but to make comments. Right. Well, I mean, when you say something like, come and test me every day, I've got all the blood and urine, you know? I'm here. I, I'm here. I can, I've that, got urine. that signifies to me go ahead and do what you want because you're not going to find anything. When you read between the lines, that's what it's saying. So, so you can say, so, if, listen, listen, this is all, by the way, you're setting this hypothetical up under the assumption then that, you know, if he did test positive for a banned substance, that what else is he supposed to say in these situations? Well, if you truly knew that you were under the influence or not under the influence of that, if you had used a banned substance, if you truly knew that, I don't think you would... I would hope that athletes nowadays would learn from other athletes that they see in the media, like a Ryan Braun, who got called out for it after he John, got caught. I guess, I, I guess my question to you is, learn how. When they're asked a question, let's, okay, let's take Eric Thames out of the equation. again? Take Eric Thames out of the equation. John, you're a, a PED-using athlete having success, and I'm the reporter. Yeah. What do you say to those who question that you might be using? And I, I'm, I know I'm using. Yeah, I mean they can. They, they're taking the tests. Uh, you know, I didn't expect this start either. You know, I'm just as excited about the start I think as fans are. But I mean, they're going to test. They're going to test. What do you say to those who say you're using? <laughs> I mean, it, people. Can, I can't determine what other people think. If they want to think that, I mean, they go ahead. I think there's been other studies that show you know just how are much. You, are you using PEDs? <laughs> they didn't ask him, are you using PEDs? Am I using PEDs? No, yeah. I'm not. No. Oh. oh. See, but that wasn't what was asked. What are you supposed know, to say if you're using I guess, PEDs? I guess I, here, here, here's, the, here's the deal. If you want so to set, back it, this up, uh, I mean, we're all, we've grown to be cynical of greatness because every time, nearly every time that we've seen somebody do something that you can't really imagine people doing, the conversation comes... Wow. Is there, you just wonder. You just have to raise an eyebrow. Jake Arrieta at the beginning of last year, off the season he had had, had the year before. Uh, those questions are going to come up. Whether an athlete is using or not using, when you're being asked questions or being brought into doubt, there is no good answer. It's the same as the question, when did you stop beating your wife? I, I There's understand. no answer uh, that, get, that that is safe. Right. I understand what you're saying, but I still think unless... And I don't know, maybe I'd have to think about it, unless you're asked point blank, are you using PEDs? Uh, have you used PEDs? Unless you're asked point blank that question, where you're almost forced into a yes or no answer. And maybe there's a, a workaround around that by an athlete if they truly knew they were using PEDs. Let me ask you a question. If it is found out later on that Thames 
has in fact tested positive, do you not think people would See, go back okay, to that statement? So, but here's the deal: the only one I, the only one that bothered me about Braun was when the test came, when the test got thrown out, and he had that uh, spring training um, impromptu presser in Arizona, and he threw the collector under the bus, and he was he was just like yelling at people. That's the only one that came back to haunt him. Because every other time, if an athlete is going to be asked point blank or by innuendo, are you... Well, Braun, didn't didn't he specifically say, I have never done this? At that point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he said, period. Right, that's the only one. That's that's the only one. But that that wasn't what cost him. What cost him is that he threw the collector under the bus. I think it was a combination of things. And that he was so angry and vehement that... Yeah, it was the collector and it was the straight-up denial. I I guess my point is, John, if an athlete tests positive... You're not angry about, I mean, the people that are angry about all the times they lied, what are they supposed to say when you ask them straight out? I, I don't know what the exact question to Thames was. Oh, and I I'll, guess here's I'm what, talking about the other ones in the past. Right, because here's, Rodriguez was asked, um, you know, Braun was asked, McGuire was asked, Clemens is asked. What are they, Here's what I'm saying about Thames. I liked the answer. Um, and, and I get what you're saying. What else is he supposed to say? Uh, when asked about PDs, like, is he supposed to dance around the question? I guess what I'm trying to say is if, if you're an athlete and you know, and I'm not saying that he is or has, yeah. but if you're an athlete and you know you're using it, I don't know if if you still would go that route. Maybe you would. Maybe you'd still go the straight-up 100% denial. Or I don't know if, if you knew in your heart of hearts that, hey, I might test positive, that you would answer the question in that way. That okay, I got all my blood and urine. Come test me every day. Like I don't, I don't think you'd want to set yourself up for a potential failure like that. I think you might have it in your head planned out, like how I'm going to answer these questions. So for Thames to see, say that, and although we've been burned in the past, it makes me want to believe. Like okay, I mean he's he's putting it out there. He's putting himself out there because if one of these do come back, everyone's going to go point at the blood and urine comment. So I don't know. Plus he's just awesome. And he's like yeah, laughing I about think, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's the ultimate point. I, I didn't mean to take you down that rabbit hole, but I mean, you enjoyed his commentary last night. I did. Yeah, a lot. It, it, we turned it into a, a negative, but I don't think you intended it that way. Uh, Brewers, by the way, lead nine to three today, and uh, that lead is going to be taken to the fifth inning. We'll take a break here. Talk with Michael Beller in about fifteen minutes, and he wrote a piece on Eric Thames at SI.com that we'll get to in that conversation. Your phone calls are welcome. Welcome aboard on this Wednesday afternoon, 877-729-1070, 877-729-1070. This is the Mike Heller Show. Never any uh, lyrics, any vocals. John, if I had to say my favorite thing about music, it's vocals. So our Get Back music, everything that's in our huge library of Get Back music, what we call behind the scenes here, our Get Back music doesn't have any lyrics. It's no vocals. Instrumental. It's like, karaoke. It's like karaoke. Yeah. Why don't you without ever break into Why don't you ever break into the song? It's like karaoke without the words. Well, I know, but you could sing. I could. When's the last time you had a microphone in front of you and sang? What would it cost? 
What would somebody have to put in front of you, you know, like in a kind of a crowded bar with karaoke? Uh, three beers. That That's it? No money? Four beers. Four beers, no cash? No. What about sober? No. Um... 50 bucks. Let me let me further the conversation. Let's say you're doing a, uh, a Wisconsin basketball or women's volleyball game. What would the offer have to be for you to sing the anthem? In front of everybody? Yeah. Well, I don't know why they would want to do that to anyone. Just, just, but you know. It's just this weird hypothetical mm-hmm. that'll never happen. Yep. Uh, well, I don't think they pay anyone, but if they did pay people... Um, Thousand bucks. Thousand bucks, you'd do that. Yeah. Somebody, I, I, I've always had a hard time, um, early, especially earlier in my life, speaking in front of people. Like it just would freak me out. This has never bothered me, television uh, or radio. Well, because you I've can't never, see the people, right? And you know what? You know what the issue is about not seeing the people. It's not seeing the eye rolls or somebody not laughing if you tried to be funny. Or somebody, uh, you know, like speaking to the person next to them, and you can tell they're mumbling about what it is you just said. You never get to see it. It happens all the time. Yeah, I think it the... just happened a moment ago, but I didn't see it. No, yeah, and and like let's say you're trying to say something, and maybe you stumble over your words. Yeah, you can stumble over your words here. I do it every day. But if you're in front of people, there are people looking at you, and you're stumbling, yeah, and you're like, uh, "Stop looking at me! Yeah. I just stumbled over a couple words." With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Leave me alone. Uh, we're going to talk uh, when we come back. Michael Beller, Sports Illustrated. Saw a piece he did yesterday at SI.com on Eric Thames, and it rings true in a lot of ways, and I think you're going to want to hear about it. We will visit with him. Michael Beller will join us on the other side. Stick around. This is the Mike Heller Show. Back in on the Mike Heller Show on this Get Me Through a Wednesday afternoon. A little bit later on, we're going to talk about smart baseball, Keith Law. We got a little baseball motif going on today. Keith Law, author of Smart Baseball, the story behind the old stats that are ruining the game. He'll join us at about quarter past three central time. Chad Ryder, NFL.com draft analyst, will follow him at about 3.35. Right now, we welcome in Michael Beller from Sports Illustrated, who uh, caught my eye with a piece uh, that ran yesterday on at si.com on Eric Thames. Michael, thanks for taking a few minutes to join us. We appreciate it. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for having me. Michael, it's been obviously the story not only in Milwaukee and the National League, but in all of Major League Baseball. And you kind of studied what it is that he's doing. What is it that you see that is repeatable and not just a super hot start? Yeah, I mean, that's really that's the thing here, uh, Mike. I mean, Eric Thames completely remade it. And what we've seen from him, I mean, he always has the power, right? I mean, going back to Seattle, going back to Toronto, the raw power was there. But 
as far as a major league skill, that was basically it. The guy was up there flailing at everything, swinging at everything that was coming his way, rarely getting himself into good counts, rarely getting himself good pitches to hit, and, and looking like he really didn't even have a plan to get himself into those situations. Well, that has completely flipped, and now we have seen a guy who was one of the most aggressive and poorly aggressive hitters in Major League Baseball in his first stint turn into one of the most patient, disciplined guys. And I know it is early in the season, but those are the sorts of things that stabilize early with what we've seen from Eric Thames so far this season. The seventh lowest swing rate in Major League Baseball, the seventh lowest also O swing rate. And what that measures is swinging at pitches outside of the strike zone. He has done that less than all but six hitters in Major League Baseball so far this season. And those are the sorts of things that are going to stabilize quickly and let him keep this going all season. When a pitcher makes a mistake then in the zone, he is not missing it, and he's forcing them to come into the zone against him because if they're not going to, he's happily going to take his walks. He has shown that this year, and that's why I really believe this is something that's going to be sustainable for him this season. Michael, let me ask you the follow-up question to that. As the book kind of gets out on Thames in the National League second time through, unless it's the Cincinnati Reds, of course, who, <laughs> who don't have a book, um, what is it, what's incumbent upon Eric Thames once the league starts to recognize what's the biggest challenge that he faces rolling forward? I think the biggest challenge that he's going to face is sort of keeping this approach because he is going to be pitched around much more delicately, even with Ryan Braun and Ryan Braun, you know, sort of getting lost in the shuffle. What a great April he has had. Um, he's going to be pitched more delicately as teams start to uh, see him more than once. And he's not going to get as many pitches to hit no matter how patient he is and no matter what Braun is doing behind him. So it's going to be incumbent upon him, I think, just to stay measured with this approach to, uh, to keep on being willing to take his walks. You know, last year we saw it uh, with Bryce Harper, right? And no one's comparing Eric Thames directly to Bryce Harper just yet, but Harper had that torrid April coming off the MVP season, and there was that series against the Cubs where they basically walked him every single time he came to the plate, and that sort of sent him unraveling. A lot of teams started to do this to him, and that he was expanding his zone and really trying to make things happen even when pitches weren't coming to him. I think that's what Eric Thames is going to have to do to keep uh, his effectiveness up this year. If teams are going to pitch him, uh, teams are not going to attack him. He's going to have to keep on taking his walks. He's going to get fewer and fewer pitches to hit. He's going to have to keep on making them pay when he does get those pitches. But again, I think because of the way he's been so disciplined and because he had, does have this re- uh, approach that has been repeatable and should continue to be repeatable, I just can't see him really falling off in a dramatic way at all this year. We're talking with Michael Beller of Sports Illustrated. You can follow him on Twitter at mbeller, B-E-L-L-E-R. And uh, as as we talk a little bit about what Thames has done in your piece, you have some graphics, and it's kind of new world data where baseball is concerned. What is it that, if you had to say to somebody who's kind of a newbie to looking at that kind of data, the one thing that jumps off the page at you in what he has done to have this early success is? I would say he's really quieted everything down, and uh, I'll give a hat tip to uh, the Brewers hitting coach, Darnell Coles, who I talked to uh, for this story. Uh, he, he said he credited um, Eric Thames's uh, head movement, that he uh, was sort of all over the place, making it much harder for him to identify pitches uh, during his first stint in the majors, and that he was able to spend the three years in Korea really sort of tearing down his entire swing and then building it back up from the ground up. When you get to the top of that, 
he has been able to keep his head very level. And if you watch him, I mean, you can still find some of that footage from 2011 and from 2012. And if you watch that hitter and compare him to the hitter that the Brewers now have uh, this season, they don't even really look like the same guy. I mean, it's such a quieter stance. It's a much quieter load sequence before he goes into his swing. He used to be way wide open, still is a little bit open, but not quite as much. Everything is just refined, and that's all leading back uh, to all the success that he is having at the plate. I mean, if you really, if you have the time, go back and look at what he did in 2011 and 2012, and you will see a completely different hitter here in 2017. Michael, what was the market for Eric Thames, and why did Milwaukee have the answer? I know they didn't see him in person. They just did it all on video. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I know that there were a few teams chasing him. Um, and, uh, you know, the one thing I think they were able to offer him uh, is an everyday uh, spot in the lineup. I mean, you know, some of these things uh, sort of happen uh, almost by stakes. Uh, the Brewers are sort of lucky, at least in this way, to be in the position they're in where they were able to go out and court Eric Thames and say, we have an everyday spot for you. And, you know, maybe a contending team, wasn't able to do that uh, with Thames. I mean, I know the Rockies were interested, but after all the moves they made, you know, bringing in uh, Ian Desmond and, and some of the other things they did, they really didn't have a spot for Thames. They really couldn't do anything with him. Uh, Cleveland maybe could have been a team that would have been interested, but again, a team trying to get back to the World Series. They went out, they made the big splash with Edwin Encarnacion, so suddenly that takes them out of the running. Milwaukee still being in this very exciting but clearly rebuilding phase was able to offer him a starting gig. And now, you start to project forward, and not only is this guy a great story in 2017, but still, even at 30 years old, I mean, he's got a lot of major league shelf life still ahead of him. And now he goes from being just a great story in 2017 and the guy you're taking a flyer on to maybe being a big part of your team when the Brewers are able to to contend and be relevant once again. So just a great, great move by David Stern. Yeah, and I'm going to circle back to almost our beginning comments here, Michael, and that is, uh, and by the way, he's Michael Beller of Sports Illustrated joining us on the Mike Heller Show. He penned a piece on Eric Thames that ran at SI.com yesterday. I think it's uh, really well done. But one of the storylines about Thames is that some just want this to last a little longer before they buy into it, yet you've looked at some of those metrics and, and watching the swings and see that it's repeatable. Uh, the, the follow-up to that is that it also brings in questions of PED use, but that's more built on um, being cynical as consumers of baseball. When somebody does something that's extraordinary, we get cynical and wonder if it's being aided. It's really insulting, I think, to Eric Thames that he even has to answer these questions. I know the Cubs uh, were sort of the first to bring it up, and you know John Lackey and Chris Bosio didn't necessarily say those words, but sort of you know dog whistle hinted at those. Uh, go back and watch the uh, the home run that Eric Thames hit off John Lackey, and uh, ask John Lackey if that's one of the better cutters he's thrown in his career. It's a ball that basically just spun up there, and that Thames stayed on, drove to the opposite field, exactly what you should do against what was a garbage pitch from John Lackey. I, I mean, I wish we didn't have to deal with this. Uh, you know, Jake Arrieta, you know, the Cubs should know first uh, firsthand, Jake Arrieta had to deal with this same trash last season. I wish we didn't have to talk about it. There should not be a market for making unfounded accusations, especially uh, with the testing regime that is in place for Major League Baseball. But, uh, you know, such is life, I guess, after uh, the steroid boom of the late 90s and the early 2000s. And I love the way uh, Thames is, is handling it. Hopefully uh, he doesn't have to deal with this too much longer. 
but love uh, the quotes he gave about it yesterday yeah. and the fact that he's still able for now to laugh it off. Last quick thought on that. Um, does Thames' success and its potential to be repeatable, does it change who the Brewers are, and, and are they then better than advertised? I don't know if it necessarily changes who they are this season. I think they'll sort of be that team uh, that no contender, no one who's maybe uh, trying to chase down a wild card spot in the National League wants to play in September because I really do think this is going to be a fearsome offense all season long. Just wait till Jonathan Piar starts to really get going again. So I think that they can at least have that um, you know, most uh, intimidating also-ran uh, status. But I do think that if you have a bat like this, in the middle of your lineup, and still just 30 years old. I mean, he's got plenty of uh, Major League life left ahead of him. I do think that as good as he is, it could speed up the... Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Timetable for when they are relevant again, not only because of what he brings to the table individually, but because of, you know, now David Stearns looks at this overall roster and he thinks, okay, now we've got to answer it for space. And not just an answer at first base, but potentially someone who's a premier power hitter. We're ready to make a splash maybe a year sooner than we would have been. So I definitely think he could speed them up a little bit in the long term. For this season, I still think they're just going to be you know, that, a fun offensive team that doesn't have enough uh, on the mound to really compete this year. Michael, interesting stuff. I appreciate you taking time. I really enjoyed the piece online as well, and uh, it's good to be able to visit with you on the Mike Heller Show. Thank you. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me. You can follow him on Twitter at mbeller. Uh, he uh, writes for Sports Illustrated. Interesting pieces. One of their lead writers for uh, baseball fantasy, uh, lead fantasy sports writer, SI Now. Good stuff. Yeah, and you, you see the breakdown with Thames, and he's got all the graphs and charts and everything on that piece about Eric Thames. So it's really, really interesting stuff, and I know a lot of baseball fans love that type of breakdown. Yeah, and uh, by the way, Keith Law, ESPN senior baseball writer, I have to check that because you don't know today if that's still the title or not. Uh, because, Fortunately, uh, yeah. It, it, you know, the... Let me just touch on this briefly. The The whole ESPN cutdown day today is um, a lot of people are losing their jobs. Guys like John Bucci-Gross, Jason Stark. Um, there, Ed Warder. Ed Warder. There are many out there. Trent Dilfer. Um, yeah, e- even uh, a little closer to home, Jesse Temple, Jesse who Temple. covers the Big Ten and Wisconsin football with ESPN.com. Um, he has been let go. This, this is one of those bad days in sports because these are people we have gotten to know. You know, they're, they're people like us. They're people that do what we do, John. And, and uh, you hate to see these. Listen, um, our company's not been, we've been through some of these days. So um, it's a sad time. And uh, some of these people are going to land in other places. But in, in other times, they're not. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult process. This is a, kind of a nasty business from time to time. It's our thoughts uh, that go out to those people today who are having their world kind of turned upside down. And I think Cannell said it, and I retweeted it out a little bit. Danny Cannell tweeted this. He said, poured my heart and soul into ESPN for the last eight years, moved my wife and three kids to Connecticut to go, quote, all in five years ago. Bummed it ended in three minutes. 
because that's the cold-hearted uh, thing of this. This isn't a, hey, come in, sit down, let's uh, spend the morning talking about things. It's, I hey. got some bad news for you. got some bad news. Come in here, shut the door. Um, going to need your key fob. Going to need, um, you, you have the, you know, the next hour we'll have somebody with you to, to clear out yours and you're done. Thank you for all you've done. I was I was going Three to minutes. Br- going to bring up the list here, but of course, uh, the internet says I don't want to work right now. Um, well, there's a, but there's, there's a, a long list. Yeah, there's of a running right list. I don't know all the names. If everybody's going to uh, to recognize all of them, Ashley Fox, Len Elmore, Calvin Watkins, Melissa Isaacson, Jay Crawford, who's uh, one of their morning um, longtime hosts, uh, Ted Miller, Trent Dilfer, you mentioned Brian Bennett, Jason Stark. Ed Werder, um, yeah, there. I mean, it, Jane McManus, she's a writer there. Danny Cannell, who I just mentioned, Derek Tyson, John Jacques Taylor, Eamon Brennan, who does a lot of NBA stuff with them, uh, Brett McMurphy, who we've had on the show before, Jim Bowden, who uh, writes for MLB for them, Austin Ward, Jesse Temple, who I mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, yeah, the list, Dana O'Neill, who I think has been on the show before. Ten um, seconds. Yeah, there, there's a lot. The list is long, and uh, our thoughts go to them today. Back in just a couple of minutes, you're listening to The Mike Heller Show. They're the in crowd. We're the other ones. It's a different kind of cloth that we're cut from. We let our color show where the numbers ain't. We're the paint where there ain't supposed to be paint. That's who we are. This is the Mike Keller Show. That's how we roll. Call the show at 877-729-1070. Send a tweet at Mike Keller Show. Now, here's Mike Keller. Back with you on a get-me-through Wednesday. The Brewers doing their job to get us through a Wednesday. Jumping out to a big lead and kind of holding on right now against the Cincinnati Reds. Huge first inning. Some tack-on runs. Might need more on the tack-on run department as today's game is going at Miller Park in Milwaukee. We'll keep you updated on that. Big baseball and football hour here. Keith Law, author of Smart Baseball. He'll join us about 20 minutes from now, Chad Ryder, NFL.com draft analyst at 335 on the program. We've got uh, some ground to cover, both baseball and football. We'll get to some basketball as well. But before we get to that, we get to him. That's Drew Olson right there. Hey, Drew. Hey, good afternoon, Mike. Sorry, I missed the pre-show uh, pep talk conference call. I was in physical therapy getting my shoulder mended. It did. It, it didn't. Uh, you know what? I've always yeah. wished that they could do. You know, like you get a bruise in a banana, and you just take that knife and you just kind of just cut sl- the part out. That the part hurts. out. Yeah. Why can't they just do that? Because like, I'd run shoulder? out of body parts pretty soon. <laughs> and it just regenerates itself e- then? Everything hurts, man. Yeah. I, went for a, I tried to go for a run yesterday, and I ended up with a calf strain. I got two miles from my house and had to hobble home. Oh, boy. You are a, I'm a mess. You are a mess. you got to take it easier. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, true. You know, I got a buddy of mine who, who is very athletic, but he'll be um, – and he never gets I – mean, he doesn't get overweight or anything – but all of a sudden he'll say, "Hey, I haven't played basketball in a month. I'm going to go down, uh, you know, to one of the outdoor courts and play for like two hours." And then he'll call me the next day and say, "Yeah, I I 
pulled my calf muscle or tore my Achilles because he's got a bunch of them or did this. I said, well, what were you doing? He goes, well, I went and played basketball. When's the last time you played basketball? About two months ago. <laughs> or he'll say, I, I haven't run in a while, but then uh, I'll join you on your six-mile run. You, when's the last time you ran? Two months ago. And you're going to join me on my six-mile run? And then, you know, he'll pull and up. And yeah, hobble along for the next week. Right. Yeah, everybody who runs about three times a year, and one of them is the Chicago Marathon. It's ridiculous. That's just insane. Yeah. That's crazy. The people that you, That's why I say you're predisposed to be able to do things like that. That brings in John Audius. He he can just he picks up and does anything he wants. He's just a physical. He runs anomaly. in the parking lot. He's a freak. Hey fellas, what's up? It's starting to break down a little bit. Is it? Yeah. Well, I saw the video of you running in the parking lot. I saw it in person, and I had to watch back on the video. To, that was to stupid. Believe in fact, what I saw. I stretched for thirty seconds, and and as I'm that's, doing it, I'm like, this is not a good it's a idea. Good stretching program. And I got through it. Uh, there was like a slight minor, the most minor of all minor tweaks. Like on my quad afterwards, I'm like, ah, that's not, well, I'm okay. But that was dangerous. That should have not been done without the proper warning. Well, our production uh, director here who did it that same day, that was before the NFL Combine, he fell. Yeah. He didn't warm up in either. In the parking lot. <laughs> oh, he had about 10 seconds of warm up. He like, hand planted in the parking lot and then, you know, he gets up and he's got gravel just embedded into the palms of his hands. Yeah. It was kind of a wet pavement day too. It's kind of a dumb One idea. One of us didn't fall and ran like a four three five forty. One of us, not any of us, like not Mike or <laughs> myself. Nobody did that. Wait, how long until we are able just to replace the body parts? Like oh. futuristic style. Like it's okay, yeah. man. We we'll just that'd put, be plug, amazing. Plug in a new one. Here's a new hamstring. You're good to go. I'm already worried like, about... Like, it's just common practice. We're like, you don't have to yeah. worry about it because you can just get a new one. So, like, Brewers Fantasy Camp, which is in January. I already worry about that. Oh, you should... I was thinking about that the other day for some reason. Probably because Drew said, uh, when you guys were talking to Caliendo, maybe it was today. I don't know when it was. Point is this. I was thinking about that, Mike. Like ping pong. You should, you should honestly set up a, a workout regimen, like, pre-plan this stuff months in advance so you're ready to go. Yeah, because Drew didn't do any of that. He just kind of nah, just was winging just it. Natural. Got off the plane and was just winging just it. Just yeah. natural until the hammy got pulled. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I yeah. would go on some sort of program where you're Maybe working you all the right now. Months. The eight yes, months, the, the I was thinking minimum three. Baseball I was thinking a minimum of three. Oh, I don't know. That's just my thought. I just want to use that uh, that knife approach of like the bruise in the banana and just cut out the parts that are bad. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. This is the Big Three at Three. The top three trending sports stories this hour. Number three. Guys, we got to get to this because Keith Law comes up in less than 15 minutes. And like you said, Chad Ryder, NFL.com draft analyst at 3.30-ish. Uh, what are your thoughts on all the cuts? One of the stories outside uh, the, the world of sports, but still within it as far as the media, is all the cuts happening at ESPN. Tons of them today. Yeah, you know, um, I just see Ed Werder is uh, is thanking those who have reached out. Um, Ed Werder, this message from um, the messages he says from head coaches, GMs, NFL players is appreciated. Those of my colleagues reassuring, and so is all the support from the viewers. There are a number of um, people that you know, people that you see on TV here on the, I, I don't know, a few of them on the radio, and certainly read their work at ESPN.com who are all done as of today. And it didn't take long for them to be done. 
Danny Cannell tweeted out, poured my heart and soul into ESPN for the last eight years, moved my wife. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wife and three kids to Connecticut to go, quote, all in five years ago. Bummed. It ended in three minutes. That's today at ESPN. It's a, it's a sad day. It's a corporate it's a business corporate day that sucks, and on the personal level, it's just sad. It is, and uh, Jason Stark, a friend of mine for many years, is uh, one of the people and one of the kids. And it's like whether you know him or not, it sucks that that many people are getting laid off, and it's a function of them paying exorbitant rights fees and having people drop subscriptions to cable, which is how they make a lot of their money. It's not just advertising. It's uh, you know that that cable was the lifeblood of their profits. It's almost like. What happened in the newspaper industry when Craigslist started to steal the classified section? Right. And you could sell cars online without ever buying an ad in the paper. And that's uh, it's just a bummer um, seeing those people and a lot of good people. And hopefully someone somewhere will will hire them. Not sure if you mentioned, including Jesse Temple. He's been on this show a number of yeah. times. Jesse Temple of ESPN covers the Big Ten and the Badgers. So, uh, yeah, it's not a not a good day. Upwards of 100 jobs um, you might remember they cut like 300 in 2015. So more cuts. Number two. In our big three at three. Do you guys have a problem with Russell Westbrook not shaking hands last night after the Thunder was eliminated by the Rockets? Well, I don't know. Drew, this is what I said about this in the first hour. If you have a bank account that has um, th- that you get to credit and debit based on respect, there's a bit of a withdrawal, a, a debit to that respect account. It's not a game changer. Oh, he's a terrible human being, and what a bum. I'm never going to root or cheer or enjoy anything he does ever again. It's just that all of your actions in in the public eye like that, everything you do um, merits uh, a withdrawal or a deposit into your respect account based on those who follow you and and what they have. So I just think that last night's one of those where I would prefer that Westbrook handles that moment better. But it's, you know, it wasn't though I looked at Westbrook and last night was a game changer for me. Kind of what I thought he'd do. So um, just a bit of a withdrawal, a debit on that respect account for Russell Westbrook for me. And I think in general, post-game handshakes are stupid. We've talked about it before. At the youth level, that whole uh, pat a cake, good game, good game, good game, good game. It's an empty and hollow gesture now. It's just it's just a it's just more time that it takes us to get to Dairy Queen for the post game. I, I agree on the youth level, but like at the NBA uh, level, you see most of the guys out there giving hey, um, you know, thank, just like a boxer does the end. Yeah, uh, you know, just I, the uh, pat I, on the back. And outside of the Stanley Cup playoffs, it wouldn't bother me if post game handshakes went away, including the victorious post game handshakes for teams that win a regular season game in baseball. That's kind of overdone too. That whole handshake line—they don't shake hands with the opponents every day. Um, right. They don't do it at the end of a series. And at the end of a playoff series, I guess you could say is different, but then why should it be? Uh, I just I think we just put too much stock into post-game handshakes and stuff. And you can, um, I mean, maybe he's sending them all bouquets and you know, congratulating them via text. Does he have to go hug guys that he's 
that he's played against. I don't know. Sometimes the other side of it is sometimes guys seem too chummy. You want them to be angry at, yeah. at each other. I, I do. I do. Everybody's going to view this a little bit differently. For, and that's why I said for me, there's a there's a respect account and it takes a, a bit of a debit. There's a little withdrawal. Uh, on that uh, on that respect account when he walked off the court last night, not big deal. Not not hey, that's a game changer. Just a, a bit of a debit. I think it's a fine line between he's an awesome competitor or he's a sore loser. I think overall, my bottom line, I like my athletes to, to lose with class, and well, that you're used to it because you're a Vikings fan. I mean, they, they lose, lose, they, they lose they all, they the all the time. A lot of practice losing. Um, so when I see guys like Cam Newton give two second answers and leave a press conference after the biggest game in his sport kind of irks me i don't I, I don't like that i don't like that that's the way an athlete responds to adversity or to losing and i don't brook leaving um like i said like you said it's not a huge deal like i don't think like this is the biggest deal in the world and all of a sudden all respect is lost for russell westbrook i mean you don't even have to have to go through a handshake line you just have to say you know a couple hugs and some words to a, a couple players and leave but when when you do exit like that, there will be some that will lose respect. Now, I don't lose all respect, but it irks me, and there will be some that it irks. And no you just got to, hey, if that's what you're going to do, then get ready because people, most people, I think, like to see their athletes lose with class. At least I do. Do you like Wyatt Irk? Wyatt Irk? Yeah. Yes. Different person. Different than Wyatt. Number one. Number one in our big three at three uh, before Keith Law, author of Smart Baseball, joins the show. Uh, your thoughts on the PED test uh, issued to Eric Thames after hitting another home run last night, number 11 on the season. Here's how it sounded on Fox Sports Wisconsin. A strike pitch to Thames and a fly ball. He's back into right field. Shevler going back at the wall. Going again! Eric Thames again! The story continues for the big man. That is Matt LePan, the call. And then afterwards, of course, uh, finding out about that drug test issued to Thames. And he talked about his hot start and the PED tests. This whole thing is surprising to me as well. You know, like I really have no goals for this year. You know, I wasn't, I'm not trying to break any records or set anything. Or I just want to apply what I learned in Korea to see how it would fare here. And, you know, so I'm shocked at all the results. I'm just here to, to play ball and um, do my best to stay healthy and stretch as much as I can. So, yeah, so if people keep thinking I'm on stuff, like, I'll, I'll be here every day. I have, I have lots of blood and urine, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So Drew, he kind of gets it, huh? I mean, he's he's really good with the media. He's obviously been really good between the white lines, and he's he's uh, taken on this the accusations uh, pretty lightheartedly. And it, that's that's terrific. And I don't know those accusations. I, I think most Brewers fans were looking past them and considering the source and everything. And um, they're selling out of his T-shirt and his jersey sales will be up, I'm sure. And it's great. He's the best story in baseball right now. And Part of it is that he's got such a great demeanor and everything. He's so worldly and interesting that I think he's got potential to be a, a kind of a rock star in this town for a while. Doesn't help or doesn't hurt, rather, that he continues to do it. Uh, I don't know what will happen now that they don't play the Reds until the end of June, but uh, he's been pretty good. Understanding that we've been burned by athletes who have said one thing and then we found out they're lying, I understand that. But at the same time, this makes me want to believe Thames because – He's seen the examples of athletes that have lied, and then it's been found out that they were lying and the reaction to that. So I understand at some level, what are you supposed to say when people ask you about PEDs? Are you supposed to dance around it, straight up deny it? What are you supposed to do? 
I like this reaction from things because to me, it, it kind of says it makes me want to believe him. You know, it makes me want to believe him. He says, hey, I'm here every day. Here's my blood. Here's my urine. Do whatever you got to do. It, it, he's definitely selling a good story to us. And it makes me like him even more that he has that attitude toward it. And he's just such a likable character anyway that I, I, I hope he's clean and I hope he keeps hitting home runs because it's a pretty awesome story. Good combo. Is that it? That's it. Uh, you want to step aside now? Keith Law is going to join us when we come back. His book is Smart Baseball. Keith Law, ESPN senior baseball writer, the story behind the old stats that are ruining the game, the new ones that are running it, and the right way to think about baseball. Keith Law joins us next on The Mike Heller Show. Brewers in a good spot today, at least so far, leading 9-4. Top of the eighth inning at Miller Park in Milwaukee against the Cincinnati Reds. Trying to get to a point where against the Reds, they would get to 6-1 if they can protect a five-run eighth inning lead today in Milwaukee. So uh, so we'll uh, we'll do that. Listen, I, I said after Thames' last at bat, he, uh, he flew out to center on a changeup in his last at bat. And I said to John, kind of kiddingly, as he was um, going back from first base, that he was shaking out his left arm as though something had happened. Uh, and then Tom Hardercourt tweeted out, that was weird. Trainer went out to check on Eric Thames at first base, and now he has left the game, not sure what's going on with him. So Thames has left the lineup this afternoon in the eighth inning. Uh, so just a little bit of an update there and uh, something to follow as we get later on into the afternoon. Uh, let's welcome in our next guest, Smart Baseball, Keith Law, the story behind the old stats that are ruining the game, the new ones running it, and the right way to think about baseball. So, Keith, let's begin by thank you for jumping in with us. If I were, uh, I think I grew up like you did, uh, reading the stat lines in the sporting news on a weekly basis, checking the Sunday uh, stat lines in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, JS Online, uh, our paper, uh, to kind of go through the extended stats, but they were always about batting average and RBIs and home runs. And for pitchers, they were about wins and losses and ERAs and saves. So if I were, if we're doing it now, if I go back to be the 12-year-old me, what stats should I be looking at? Yeah, I would say that there were stats available to us sometimes, you know, in the paper or on the back of a baseball card that would have been better at least. On-base percentage, which is my favorite of all the basic stats that you can find, hitter or pitcher, that was there, but no one ever really told me it was important, and I was a kid. I wasn't into the whole, like, thinking thing. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Through part mm -hmm. where I would realize that it told a much better story. It includes all kinds of things that aren't in batting average. That includes walks, which we know today matter quite a bit. We talk about plate discipline. It also includes, you know, puts everything in the denominator. All the plate appearances except for sack bunts. They're all on the bottom there. It 
it answers the question, how often did he make an out? That's what I want to know. Was he a good hitter? How often was he on base? With the flip side of which is how often did he make an out? And that was right there for us. Slugging percentage was right next to us. That told us a better story. Even ERA, and I discuss ERA at length in the book, too, because there's pros and cons. That gives you so much more information than you'll ever get out of a win column. So we had the basics there for us, but I think what we needed was somebody to, to explain, hey, this stat's better, this stat's worse. And that's really the kind of approach I took in this book, was talking maybe to my 14-year-old self. All right, here are all the stats you're used to. Let me explain which ones are good and which are bad. And now I'll tell you about some you haven't seen before that might be even better. Keith, Doug Melvin used to always say that he would think about what a pitcher's, what a team's record was in games started by a certain pitcher, even though that you know could be deceiving too. But he just felt like at, at its core, you can't get lucky for an entire career. You have to be good, right. and if your team wins a game, you know there, there's something there, and that just seems like a basic stat that people might not look at or consider. The idea of it's not about lucky for a whole career, but I talk about Burt Blylevin in the books, the guy who struggled to get in the Hall of Fame largely because he didn't get to 300 wins in a very long career. He spent most of his career, if not all of it, playing for poor offensive teams, so he just never got run support. I think he actually holds the record for losing the most one nothing complete games of any starting pitcher in history. That's not on him. That's very much on the teams he played for and their offensive incompetence. And if you're trying to give me the measure of a pitcher, I don't care what the offense did behind him. I care entirely about how he pitched. Did he get batters out? Did he keep runs off the board? And so all of the stats that I'm favoring in the second section of Smart Baseball, get rid of that context. We're trying to strip noise out and just focus on signal. What was the player himself specifically responsible for? And there's no way the team win column can be pinned on the starting pitcher no matter how you slice it up. Does it get too complicated, Keith, for um, uh, for some even who are voting for uh, for MVPs and Cy Youngs? Does some of the the deeper thinking statistics, the new age view of baseball, does it sometimes get ignored by those season ending awards and the writers who have followed the game for all these years? I think it's gotten much better in the last five years. I think the electorate has changed because the media has changed so much. I mean, I look around and. I was when I started at ESPN. I was 33 uh, on my 33rd birthday. Actually, I started at ESPN, and I was on the younger side among baseball writers. And now I'm 43 and feel like one of the old men of the sport of the uh, uh, whether you're talking beat writers or columnists. And the fact that it's gotten so much younger means that we've got people who are more sabermetrically savvy and who are more interested. I think they treat the job as a different kind of responsibility where they need to keep up with the teams. If the front office is looking at players in a certain way, then it's my job to at least understand that philosophy, too. And I get into a lot of that in the second and the third parts of the book. One of the things, uh, Keith, that's always come up is character and clubhouse chemistry and things like that. It's really hard to quantify. And Tom Verducci spends a lot of time in his book about the Cubs talking about the, the job that they did and what Theo Epstein did in trying to create that. Is that the last frontier? I mean, now we've got defensive metrics. We've got metrics for a lot of things. Is that the last thing is kind of like personality and team building? Well, some of it matters and some of it doesn't. And if I haven't read Tom's book, but if that's kind of his main message about why the Cubs won the World Series, I think he's missing the forest for the trees. It the is Cubs not, but it's a, it's a theme. Okay. Yeah. Well, the Cubs fielded one of the best defensive teams in history last year. If you look at their ability to turn balls put into play into outs, they were probably the best at that relative to the league since World War II, 
And the only reason I say since World War II is because the data we have from before that isn't that great, and it might have been the best ever. That's the story of the Cubs last year. Yes, they care about character. They brought in good guys. They brought in some leader types to help them with the younger players that they were bringing up. And Joe Madden, obviously, is a character of his own. He's also a pretty super-match-savvy manager himself. He just kind of likes to hide it behind the folksy, uh, folksy exterior. So... Yes, I think that stuff does matter. It particularly matters to me when I'm out scouting for the amateur draft and talking to scouts about those kinds of prospects because a kid with the wrong work ethic is never going to get to his full potential. But in terms of teams evaluating players, it's never going to outweigh the value that we find or we can demonstrate through advanced analytics. Keith, uh, let's let's give a little bit more um, perspective to what we're talking about a little bit. Today... Willie Peralta for the Brewers goes five innings, gives up four runs, and he'll get the win. Uh, how do we value wins with starting pitchers? We don't, or at least I don't, and I try to make the argument in the book. It's one of the stats we should just get rid of entirely. I really don't think it's imparting anything useful to us. I think that uh, you want to judge a starting pitcher by how much he's pitching, maybe how much he's pitching per start, too, but how many innings is he giving you, how many outs does he get, how many runs is he keeping off the board. The challenge that a lot of teams are still facing, I spoke to a lot of front office executives while doing this book, is still trying to figure out how to separate out how the pitcher does his job versus how the defense does its job, because those two are inextricably linked. It's all run prevention. And the pitcher might not do a very good job, but the defense bails him out all day. And a pitcher might do a great job, and the defense behind him either isn't good or has an off day, and it makes the pitcher look like he was worse than he was. All of that stuff gets confused when you look at something like the pitcher win. And teams spend a lot of resources trying to figure out how to separate that, uh, those two things from each other, and are really diving into the StatCast data now that MLB sends to all the teams, maybe to try to come up with better estimates of how much of this was defense, how much of this was truly on the pitcher. All right, we've got to stay local here. Eric Thames, uh, your thoughts? Uh, well, can he face the Reds all season? <laughs> be amazing. Be 85 great. home runs. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm fascinated. Yeah, I saw Eric Thames as a uh, as a prospect in the Blue Jays system. I thought he was terrible. I mean, he was. He was uh, unathletic. He had a real uh, had a rough swing. That got long. That got too uppercut. He was trying to hit just dead pole, and it was not a. It was just wasn't a hitter's approach at all. It's plate discipline and not in swing. So obviously, he goes overseas for a couple of years. He's a superstar over there. He comes back. I think the swing's better. It's tough to tell on TV, but I do think that he's changed his mechanics. He's obviously become a more disciplined hitter, which is incredibly important. And uh, I do think he's going to turn out to be a very valuable regular for them. I don't think he's going to end up being the MVP, but they're only paying him $5 million a year. If he's just an average, everyday player, he's probably more than that. But if that's all he turned out to be, that's a steal. And then... Either he's the core of your club the next two years, or you can turn around and trade him at some point for the moon because he's so underpaid relative to his production. So no matter what happens, I feel pretty good that they got an absolute bargain on that deal. Keith, it's good stuff. Uh, the story, uh, it's called, the book is called Smart Baseball. The story behind the old stats that are ruining the game, the new ones that are running it, and the right way to think about baseball. Keith, it's good to visit with you. Thanks for spending a little time with us. My pleasure. Keith. Law joining us talking about uh, a little bit about baseball. We're gonna we'll flip it completely and go to the NFL draft here in a few minutes. However, I will tell you this: on a day like today, Drew, when we talk about um, Willie Peralta, you know, and I brought it up and I felt kind of bad after I did it. He pitched five innings, gave up four runs, 
and he's going to get the win, but I kind of made it sound like he didn't pitch all that well. But when you're staked to a 7 nothing lead or an 8-1 lead, in this case a 7-1 lead, 8-1 lead, 9-1 lead, you pitch differently, right? I mean, sometimes stats then get thrown out the window because Peralta's maybe going to throw more fastballs, going to get more of the plate because you don't want to flirt with uh, with high walk count or anything like that because of the circumstances of the game. There's something to be said for pitching to the score. That's true, but at, at the same time, you know, I think good pitchers are able to pitch, and you know, Greg Maddox had big leads a lot, and that didn't mean he gave up eight runs. <laughs> You know the the great ones are able to kind of silence that that urge and just pitch the way that they pitch, independent of of what's what's going on. But no, there, I think there's something to that though, especially with young pitchers, um, that they you know if and, and that that's what often turns victories into defeats or just letting a team come back. If you have a if, if you're up seven to nothing early and then you get up four or five runs and then the next guy comes in and gives up a couple runs, the next thing you know you're hanging on for dear life and you have your closer in the game when you were ahead seven to nothing by a touchdown. That's that's not good, and uh, the, the, it's it's a it, it's an interesting dynamic with the way pitchers have to go through that because a lot of people don't. That's not something I don't think that they teach or they that's really talked about that much is how to pitch in that circumstance. Yeah, no no doubt. It's it's an interesting that whole book, and I, I read. A, uh, about a, th- a third of it last night and another third this morning on Keith Law. Uh, it, it's an interesting view because I grew up looking at the sporting news and, and I grew up on batting average, on on-base percentage to a certain extent, but it was just it was just one of those stats that people didn't pay nearly as much attention to. If you looked at a box score, if you looked at the stat line in baseball, for me, I was looking at batting average, home runs, Runs batted in. Those are the ones that really mattered. Even runs sort of counted, but if you were on base, you know, if you got walked and then somebody hit a home run behind you and you get credit for the run, maybe you should get credit for the walk. But those are the stats I looked at. And I'm I'm sure we're not that far apart in age. I'm sure that initially those are the ones you looked at too. What do you look at now? What from an offense? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Offensive standpoint, Drew, what identifies with you when a player is great? Uh, I look at uh, – I'm a fan of the OPS stat on base plus slugging. I, I think that's uh, a pretty good measure of two really important things. Um, home runs and home runs are – you know they go on the board. It's hard to say that you, you cheat your way or you luck your way or that your team helps you hit home runs. Ballpark might, but that's – you know OPS is stuff that I look at. In terms of pitching, um, walks to strikeouts, always good for me. And, and that's you know, probably more important than a lot of other – Probably more conventional uh, stats. Uh, there's just there's just so many and there's so much that uh, you can you can almost get bogged down, like you were saying. You can almost get you can almost get paralyzed by by diving into it. But there's just so much available to see where where guys are. And there, and then there's new stats coming up all the time. And like for a while, defensive metrics now that's where they're really now that they have the stat cast and they can tell how far uh, how far outfielders run to catch fly balls and stuff. That's like the next frontier of, right. of, uh, and that has been. They've been working on that for several years to come up with, 
you know, let's take Orlando Garcia. We've talked about it before. Um, you know, if he if he hits 180, but he's preventing two runs a night with his defense, he's one of the Brewers' most valuable players. Right. It's just it just doesn't pass the eye test though because it's so subjective. What you know? What's range? Well, how do you de- determine range? Because the balls hit at a different speed, and how much ground did he cover before he got to it? It's not something that you and I can, you know, the average fan can just sit and look at and say, well, so-and-so would, you can always guess. He makes that play, but another player doesn't. Um, you know, they, they talked in the book about Omar Vizquel being such a great shortstop, but his range wasn't close to that of Ozzie Smith. However, just in watching a television broadcast or a game in person, range is hard to determine. Again, it depends on pace that the ball was hit. How where he was positioned before the ball was hit, all of those things kind of come into play, which makes it uh, a, a very interesting scenario. We'll get back into it either later today or at another date. Chad Ryder, NFL.com draft analyst, is on deck. We'll talk about the first round and beyond of the NFL draft that gets underway just a little bit more than 24 hours from now. Chad Ryder, NFL.com draft analyst, joins us next on the Mike Heller Show. <laughs> Back with you on the Mike Heller Show. The Brewers have just wrapped up a series sweep against the Cincinnati Reds. Brewers have opened, as Tom Hardicourt just tweeted, with 23 games in 24 days to uh, essentially begin the season, and they are 12-11. and 11. There is a question mark out of today's game, though, and that is uh, that Eric Thames left the game after being visited at first base by the trainer in the eighth inning. And we're awaiting word on what that is. We'll follow what Tom is tweeting about to see if there is an update on Eric Thames, who did have a hit in today's game, a single, walked a couple of times, and uh, finished one for three on the day. Didn't homer for the first time in a game this year against the Cincinnati Reds. Eric Thames did not hit a ball over the fence, over the wall. Yeah. No wonder he left the game. Yeah, he was just disappointed. It must have been sadness. Um, so we'll see what that storyline yields as far as Eric Thames. Uh, we'll get back to that in a bit. Chad Ryder, NFL.com draft analyst, joins us on the Mike Heller Show. Uh, Chad, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, so do you have the countdown clock going? or uh, every? I mean, every minute matters now, right? Uh, yeah, it's, I'll be happy when uh, this thing gets started. So we, instead of talking about what's going to happen, we actually see what does happen. Uh, you'll have to forgive me if there's background ground noise here, but I'm at the site right now for the draft. Oh, okay. Watching them put all the last things, uh, last minute stuff together, and uh, seeing it all come together. So let me ask you this question: uh, The Packers had had uh, defections on the offensive line, one of their own doing with Josh Sitton uh, at the end of training camp last year. T.J. Lang in free agency. Uh, they lost a center, um, uh, Lindsley. Or Treader, who, which one? I don't know. Treader. Treader left. So in that, how much do they have to view as uh, as getting help on the offensive line? I see that today they signed Jari Evans, who was with the New Orleans Saints, started all 16 games last year as a guard for them. How do they view, or how do you believe they view, offensive line in this year's draft? Well, I think Jari Evans is a good player, but there's a reason that he wasn't 
you know, kept around. Uh, he is getting a little older, and uh, I mean, I think you can look at him as a guy definitely for 2017 that you could uh, count on as a starter. But I think if you if you the value is still there, Ted Thompson's not going to be afraid to pick another offensive lineman, uh, particularly one that would have um, you know versatility as being able to play a tackle as well as guard because you know the the team depth isn't super great there, and uh, so I don't know that it really changes a whole lot. Um, I think if the value, if he finds a player of value, the thing about this draft is there's not a ton of available offensive linemen early, and they'll probably go earlier than people expect the ones that are worth taking. So I still expect them to probably pick somebody fourth, fifth round. Um, that would look in the future that they'd be able to use his depth and earn a starting position in 2018. Chad, it's cruel and unusual to expect somebody to p- predict what Ted would do at the pick. You know, it late late in the first round, it's hard to predict what Ted's going to do anyway. But there's rumblings that the Packers could trade uh, back in the draft. Is that does that seem as you look at the whole palette? Does that seem like a an attractive possibility? Oh, I think every team would love to move back all the way from two to two fifty three. I think every team would take that just because they know the value of additional picks. Um, but you know, again, it takes a second team to want to do that. Uh, guys that, you know, potentially other teams might be looking at, maybe they love a Charles Harris from Missouri as a pass rusher. Maybe they love one of the cornerbacks that are available late in the first round and they want to move up and get him. I don't know that quarterback will be much of an issue because with Kansas City and Houston picking above the Packers, I don't know if there will really be any deals at 29 for that, but... Um, you know, I, I think it's always, in this draft especially, if you can pick up an extra fourth-round pick for just moving back, you know, 10 spots or so, I don't think you really lose much value and you get an additional, um, you know, potential starter. Even in the fourth round in this draft, you could find that. So I, I think it's a, I think it's a, it would be an easy call to make if, if they did get the phone call from somebody else. Chad, are they positioned in, in such a way, let's say T.J. Watt is a guy that they covet and he's there when they pick. Are they positioned in such a way that they could move down and get him fourth in the second round, like the 36th, 37th overall pick? What's the other view on the teams that surround the Packers in the draft order of T.J. Watt? Yeah, I, I think it might be tough. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't bank on him lasting a whole lot long, very long in the second round. With San Francisco and Cleveland, certainly they could use up. Uh, you know, impact defender. So I'm not I'm not sure I would count on that. But um, certainly, you know, some people believe that he'll go a little bit later than I do. Uh, you know, and, and again, as I mentioned, the difference between the 25th pick in this draft and the 50th pick is minimal. It's really personal uh, preferences and things like that. So, yeah, I think there's a fair chance of whoever they want at 29, um, if they trade down, you know, within 10 spots, They'll uh, they'll certainly you know might have a chance to get that same player. Chad, is there a scenario that you see that uh, where a player they covet is available at twenty five that the Packers would say, hey, that's the guy we need to move up because he's there? Um, I I don't not at this point. Um, the only guy I, I would say if there's a chance for one guy, it might be Chidobe Awuze, the um, corner safety uh, combination guy out of out of. Colorado. Um, I think Oakland's probably looking hard at him at 24. And if the Packers really covet him, maybe they move up into the 23rd spot to try to get around him. But, you know, really in this draft, 
it, it's hard for me to to really say that somebody would um, really you know get Ted Thompson's eye to that to that effect. Um, uh, you know, it, it, you know, obviously when Clay Matthews came out, the Packers went up and got him. So uh, you know that could be another possibility if they if they like Watts that much that they might go up and get him because I think he's going to be a fantastic pro. And um, so you know that would be interesting. Uh, you know, many Packer fans might not know that the reason that that um, that the Oakland Raiders traded up ahead of the Packers when the Packers picked Aaron Rodgers is because they thought the Packers would pick Fabian Washington, the corner. Um, you know that that was coming out in the draft that year, and uh, Oakland wanted his speed so badly that they traded a spot ahead of Green Bay. So uh, it would be interesting if the Packers kind of turned the tables on that this year at with the twenty fourth pick. I don't know, just something something to watch. Chad, where's the log jam going to be? Is it the quarterbacks that are going to determine kind of what happens and how this the first round goes? Always, always. I think it's um, you know you hear a lot of talk about guys going. Um, you know, I've mocked in some ways because I, I can see the scenario happening if if three teams love Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson so much to pick them in the you know top thirteen or so. Um, but there's also a school of thought that says, well, Mahomes may go a little bit early, and and Watson's going to be a little bit later. And so I can see that happening as well, where maybe somebody like a Houston, um, somebody trades up into the mid first round to try to get Mahomes stay in front of you know the Washington Redskins, who you know obviously can't bet on Kirk Cousins being around after 2017, uh, and you know teams like that, Houston. Um, you know, Cleveland, if they don't pick a quarterback early, um, although I think it seems pretty clear now that they're going to try to get up and get Mitch Trubisky after they select Miles Garrett. So, I mean, I, I think really the quarterbacks are really determined. You know, they'll be the they'll be the the bishops in the in the chess game uh, on Thursday night. When this season is done, we're visiting, by the way, with Chad Ryder, NFL.com draft analyst, uh, kind enough to join us from Philadelphia side of the NFL draft beginning tomorrow night. When this season is done, not the draft, but when the season is done, which of these top-flight draft choices are we going to be talking about the most, which doesn't always correlate with who is chosen first? Yeah, well, you know, that's an interesting question. I think uh, we'll be talking, I mean, we'll be talking about the quarterbacks because either they'll get stuck into a position where they, they won't succeed or maybe they do succeed, and we'll be talking about them either way, uh, much like Jared Goff this year. Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, you know that that kind of thing, and and then I, I guess you're looking for guys that really make an instant impact on a team that allow them to kind of take that next step. Um, for example, let's just say that Tampa Bay kind of takes that next step. If they take a Dalvin Cook um, in the first round, a running back out of Florida State, and he helps his former teammate Jameis Winston, you know, take the NFC South and get into the playoffs, kind of pushes that team. Maybe that's Maybe that's one of the guys we're talking about. Um, if Tennessee is, a, you know, another one of these teams, Marcus Mariota, if he can be healthy and, you know, he can lead that team in the AFC South, then, you know, they're going to be picking probably a Marshawn Lattimore, uh, cornerback, early in the draft. But then, you know, the 18th pick, they could pick a wide receiver, Mike Williams, for example, maybe a tight end like uh, David Njoku. These guys on offense could end up making a pretty big impact for the Titans. So, um, there's going to be a lot of guys I think that are going to make an impact in the league. So those are a few of them I think could be in the, the rookie of the year running. Um, the, the final thought here, because we'll visit with you again tomorrow, 
Um, when the Packers select, and you did your mock draft a few days ago, you said the Green Bay will have a tough choice between T.J. Watt and Jabril Peppers. What will the choice? How will that choice be made? How are they viewed? Well, I think Peppers um, combine, you know, the the, um, the leaking, so to speak, of uh, Jabril, Jabril Peppers uh, um, combine testing is maybe puts that in a little bit of a doubt whether Green Bay wants to go that direction. Um, on the other hand, they've re-signed a guy like Latroy Guyon, who has some off-field issues, and they brought him back anyway. So maybe it doesn't make a difference. But really, I think um, in terms of it's going to be when Green Bay talks to these guys, how much they love football, what is the work ethic, and what are they going to give to that defense that they're missing. And it's going to be also a matter of, let's just say that they see Jabril Peppers as the Micah Hyde replacement, can do a little bit of everything. Can they get that same kind of guy a little bit later in the draft versus the pass rusher with the potential of a T.J. Watt? Are they going to be able to get that later in the draft? And I, so I think that's part of that conversation. To me, I think you take T.J. Um, I love Judas Peppers as a person. Got to talk with him. Uh, nothing but good things are heard about him. But um, I think in this particular case, that's got to be part of the conversation, you know, the testing at the Combine and then the ability to get a similar player a little bit later. So um, that, I think that's kind of what the conversation is going to be. Chad, it's always good stuff. We'll look forward to uh, to tomorrow. Thanks for your time today. You bet, Mike. Anytime. Chad Ryder, NFL.com draft analyst, joining us on the Mike Heller Show. The Eric Thames situation, a bit of an update. This from Tom Hardercourt. Uh, Eric Thames left with a left hamstring tightness. Craig Council says, quote, not a big deal. Not a big deal. And the baseball fans in Milwaukee breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah, and if the Brewers could just play the Reds, six and one against the Reds, and Eric Thames against the Reds. Yeah, and they gave up a first inning homer to Joey Votto, and then put up a five spot in the first inning. That's what you do. I mean, that's what you do when you have kind of a, a rookie back of the rotation guy coming off an injury and a shot bullpen behind him. That's what the Brewers took advantage. Absolutely, and the Brewers improve to a game over five hundred. They get an off day, and then the Atlanta Braves will come in. The Braves are six and twelve, by the way. Well, in the season of the Brewers, now just uh, as I said, a game over five hundred, and in second place in the National League Central with a day off to enjoy it tomorrow in Milwaukee. The Braves come in for a weekend set at Miller Park beginning on Friday. It'll be be a big night downtown in Milwaukee tomorrow at the BMO Harris Bradley Center where the Bucks face elimination against the Toronto Raptors. We'll get a little bit more conversation about that and the NBA as a whole. Ben Wargle, BadgerNation.com at about quarter past four. Ted Davis, the Bucks Radio Network, his the voice of Ted Davis, will join us at four thirty five. This is the Mike Heller Show. They're the in crowd, we're the other ones. It's a different kind of cloth that we're cut from. We let our color show where the numbers ain't. We're the paint where there ain't supposed to be paint. That's who we are. This is the Mike Keller Show. That's how we roll. Call the show at 877-729-1070. Send a tweet at Mike Keller Show. Now, here's Mike Keller. It is the eve of the National Football League's first round of the draft, which is tomorrow night. 
And that means that tomorrow on the show we'll be double dipping. We'll be talking about the Bucks in an elimination game at the BMO Harris Bradley Center against the Toronto Raptors down three games to two in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs in the NBA. And we'll obviously be talking about the National Football League draft, of which, as we sit now, the Green Bay Packers will have the number 29 selection tomorrow night in primetime getting ready for what they're going to do in that moment. And tomorrow on the show, we'll be at Scuba's Poorhouse in Appleton from 2 until 6. So for our listeners on the score in Appleton, we invite you to come out and join us. I'll be there. Drew will be in Milwaukee and then at the BMO Harris Bradley Center tomorrow night for Bucks and Raptors. And I'll be in Appleton and uh, sticking around to watch both the Bucks and the NFL draft at Scuba's Poorhouse again from there from 2 to 6 and then beyond. So looking forward to a, a fun Thursday as we talk about multiple things, and we'll have a feel-good couple of days on the Milwaukee Brewers as well as they sweep away the Cincinnati Reds and get an off day tomorrow. The Brewers now above 500 at 12 and 11 on the year. Eric Thames had a single, did not homer today, left the game also in the eighth inning with a tight left hamstring, of which Craig Council says it's not a big deal. Mike Heller with you in studio, joined by Drew Olson. Hello, Drew. Hello, Mike. Sources close to my situation, also known as Tom Hardcore of the Journal Sentinel, mm-hmm. uh, tell me that a whole bunch of brewers are going to be at the Bucks game tomorrow night. Oh, like, I would there think, There are yeah. suites involved and probably some guys sitting courtside, and uh, they are looking forward to it. Yeah, that should be, uh, it should be a star-studded affair tomorrow night with, uh, with the Bucks trying to hold on, trying to hold on and, and force a Game 7 in the first round of the playoffs. Meanwhile, John Audius is with us, and John, you're familiar with the hamstring. I mean, you once tore the hamstring right off the bone. I was there. You toughed right, you toughed right through it. Hey, fellas, what's up? It was my quad oh. right off the bone, yeah. and by toughing it out, going right to the bench, and then then not playing again yeah. the whole rest of the spring. And then, like, barely able to move in here for days. It was really tough. Yeah. Now, it was a minor strain. I hate to... <laughs> See what a major strain would be like because I couldn't even. What happened with that? Quick backstory. Yeah, I was running mm-hmm. softball from first yeah, to trying second. Trying to turn, a, trying to uh, trying to score extra bases. Yep, trying yep. to work because of your speed. Yes, exactly. And boom, I'm like, oh, that does not feel good. Who just shot me? And then I kind of hobbled around to third base and immediately left. And that next day, in the next couple of days, I couldn't walk normal. I couldn't walk upstairs because my leg just wouldn't. Support yeah, that type work. of no, yeah. and so I started walking weird. Yeah, and then you heard other things. Then I hurt my back, and yeah. it was the worst back injury I have ever had, where yeah. I was just traction on the floor, Remember unable you were in to move. Yeah, it was horrible, and yeah. it all because oh, because of my torn quad right off the bone. Yeah, which is just like a, a whatever the lowest degree quad strain you could have. That's what you actually. So my had. recommendation: just don't do anything that's going to tear your quad <laughs> or your hamstrings, and everybody should be okay. Oh uh, yeah, well, whatever. Uh, ben Wargel, BadgerNation.com. He'll join us uh, just after 4.17 or so, to be precise. And then the voice of Ted Davis will be on the show at 4.35. Sounds like the ghost of Ted Davis. The voice of Ted Davis. Ooh. And the rest of them. I mean, I don't know. He's not going to be with us in studio, but we're going to hear the voice of Ted Davis, and we'll ask Ted's voice questions, and then Ted's voice will answer them. Hmm. 
just after 4.30 on the program. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Today. You good with that? Yeah, let's do it. Drew, you good with that? Let's do it. All right. This is the Big Four at four. The top four trending sports stories this hour. Number four. Mike, you mentioned it. It's going to be a big, big game for the box Thursday night at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Tip time is at six o'clock. Six o'clock tip time for the Bucks and Raptors. Milwaukee needs to win out to win the series. So what do you think? What is Milwaukee? What's the number one thing the Bucs need to do in order to survive and advance to a game seven? Well, they're gonna have to get uh they're gonna have to get scoring help. It's, it it has to be that Middleton is there and he's an offensive threat. Brogdon will have to continue in that regard. Tony Snell will have to help. Greg Monroe. The other night it was uh it was Brogdon with maybe uh I think mo the points for him came later. Uh, but it was Giannis and nobody else. And the reason that Toronto won the game on Tuesday night in Ontario, John, that's in Canada, uh, was that they got guys like Powell helping out in the scoring. They had DeRozan and they had Lowry, but then they got peripheral scoring. You have to get that. Uh, and the Bucks are going to have to get it tomorrow night in order to win that game. And here's the other good news in that, because Russell Westbrook and Oklahoma City bowed out last night in Houston, the nation will see the game on TNT. The nation will see Bucks Raptors on TNT. Otherwise, it was going to be on NBA TV again. You know what I'm saying? It's muy importante, John. Going to get on that national TV? Yes. Not NBA TV. What do you think, Drew? It's a combination of things. They, their defense has to get better, and they have to match kind of the physicality of the Raptors without getting in foul trouble. They have to make shots. Uh, they have to make free throws. They just have to recapture what they had going, which was seemingly everything in a Game 3. In Games 1 and Game 3, the, the Bucks were – they kind of dictated tempo. I think the Bucks uh, they've been kind of stuck in the mud and playing at the Raptors' pace in these losses, and th- that's probably – to me, that's the big thing is to see – just kind of get running again, get moving again. Number three. Number three in our big floor at four. Your thoughts on the news today, ESPN making massive cuts, up to 100 people being laid off. This follows back in 2015, or an estimated 350 people behind the scenes were let go during that round. Some big names, including uh, Ed Warder, uh, let go today. Who else was let go today? Uh, Jason Trent, Stark. Jason Stark. Trent, Trent Dilfer, Dilfer. Jim Bowden. Jay Crawford. Brent McMurphy. Um, Jesse Temple. Jesse Temple. Danny Cannell. Was it Bucci-Gras, too? John Bucci-Gras, who is, we've had him on the show a few times, and uh, and he's very entertaining and a bit of a, a hockey-centric guy, but can, can kind of do it all. And, boy, I mean, you, you know what you do. You get to know these people because, you know, if you're like me, you end up being on these networks, and, uh, and you get to know them, and now uh, many of them are going to be gone. They're overextended. And it and it happens, Drew, as we get to this next generation. We'll we'll blame the twenty somethings because they've unplugged. 
they get that, but they get it not through their cable. They get it through a separate source, so they're not actually plugging in and being a cable subscriber, which is, you certainly know, the newspaper industry went through it when people canceled their newspaper subscriptions, and that has just essentially decimated the newspaper industry. Yeah, so many people have cut the cord um, with cable that it's uh, such a huge revenue source for them. And it's got to adjust, and it makes you wonder, because the whole landscape of sports, I mean, you've got, it's the three-legged stool of you know fans, teams and leagues, and then broadcast entities. And if these broadcast entities can't or can't get utility out of paying these huge rights fees, once they get out and new deals are, are, are negotiated, Teams will have less money. Salaries come down. It's gonna. It, it's quite the effect. So, this is just like the first thing that uh, it's. It's kind of the first layer of this kind of restructuring and reshuffling of how we view sports and how we how we get our information. Number two. Number two in our big four at four. Do you guys have a problem with Russell Westbrook leaving the court last night after his Thunder lost to the Rockets? Series over. Didn't shake the hand or hands of anyone on the court, just left. Well, okay, so there's, there. Uh, I, I view it this way. I have, you know, like a respect account that, that I have for athletes and coaches, and there are debits and credits to those accounts. Now, last night, with the way Westbrook handled the media a couple of nights earlier with Steven Adams stuff, um, the way he handled the postgame last night, I'm not taking huge withdrawals from Russell Westbrook's respect account that I have, but there are withdrawals. Those are not deposits. Those are debits. So I look at that and say each one of these has an impact. It's kind of the way we live our lives. Uh, when, when you have friends and people that are around you, certain things that you do um, give you credit. Certain things that you do will take away from that credit. I lose a little bit of my respect for Russell Westbrook. Is it massive? No. It's just it's accumulated respect that he is either given or taken away. And last night was a bit of a withdrawal for me with Russell Westbrook. Not a huge deal, not a game changer, just all of these accumulate. If it had been LeBron, would you be, you know, taking him down a peg? He did it uh was two he, years ago. He did it a few and years I, ago. Yeah, and I, and yeah. I did. It was it was a bit of a respect withdrawal for me. He's earned I, it back though? Well, I think yeah, I mean it's it's a fluid account. Ah. Um, it's not frozen. And so. it's not like a huge debit, right? No, You're not, not like, no, empty I mean, the account. I took I'm out 20 done. bucks. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, the, I took out 20 bucks. So, so it was a huge debit. So now your account is drained because that's what it that's sounds like. When you take 20 bucks, with. yeah, that yep. sounds what it... We, we've talked about this before. In youth sports, the handshake's mandatory and it's game, meaningless. Good game, good game, good game, good game, good game, good game. If they do it before the game, it's galuck, it's, galuck, 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 it's, galuck, it's galuck, galuck, galuck. Tom Crean in the drive-by handshake is not exactly a a solemn moment either. Um, and some guys do that. And sometimes it's meaningful and sometimes it's not. And if, if they're doing it for appearances, it's I, I, it's kind of the equivalent of, hey, run hard to first base, even though you know that the shortstop's going to throw you out 100 out of 100 times. It, that's what the equivalent is to me. And I don't. it's not something to get worked up about. It's like, in a perfect world, would he have done it? Yes. My favorite thing in the playoffs is the Stanley Cup at the end of a series when they you know, beat the hell out of each other for six or seven games and then go shake hands. And, you know, it's meaningful. And you see the goalies, you know, because that's a fraternity, you know, wishing each other well. And that has meaning. But when it doesn't, like after an NBA game, it doesn't bother me whether I, I, they do it or not. I don't how care. Is, what's the, what's, how is that differentiated? I, in, in hockey, it, it's a formality. And they do it, and they actually take their time going through the line. But like last night, 
um, you can see that there are legitimate hugs and, and conversation, and there's a little. It's not a formal handshake line. It's more organic. But why why do you differentiate so much from the the norm, the protocol in the Stanley Cup as opposed to the organic in the NBA? Because the Stanley Cup just seems like it's it's part of the tradition and the pageantry of it, and it's like part of the culture of hockey, whereas in the NBA, it's like, you're right, it's just haphazard. Guys just, hey, good game, good game. You know, hey, good luck, and you might see it. And uh, I don't know, because I've seen guys, I know guys who are complete jerks that can shake hands with the other team and, you know, great, and they look like good guys. And I don't know whether Russell Westbrook's a good guy or not. I have no idea. No, uh, opinion, so you had no, debit no dog or, in that hunt. No, nope. and it's like, I, I really don't. And is it something that we should care about? Like, if you're watching it, oh, what about the children? You're going to hear that. And, oh, the kid's got to learn sportsmanship. And well, cameras are following him, so he leaves the court and he looks like a jerk. And I don't know. Some guys, some guys are jerks and they're, they're on the court because they want the cameras on them. Two things. We, don't know? we don't know. Whether or not he talked to people after the fact, where he just yeah, needed he to cool down. He can go into the locker room later, yeah. and that's always so, possible. So, number one, we don't know that. But if that didn't happen, then, yeah, I, for me personally, I, I lose a little bit of respect for Russell Westbrook. And it's not, to me, a huge deal either. I think there's a fine line between showing that you're a fierce competitor and you're upset with yourself, and a fine line between that and just being a sore loser. So just like Cam Newton, after the Super Bowl loss, in which he didn't answer questions and left after about two or three minutes... I kind of look at it the same way. Show me how you lose. And if you can't be a quote-unquote good loser, if you're a sore loser, for me personally, I look at that and say, well, that guy's just, I don't, I don't, I lose a little respect for that athlete. Let me just take you inside the Adias household last night when the game ended, when Oklahoma City bowed out against Houston. John looks over to, to little Aviana and says, now, see, that's a bad guy when he walks off the court and doesn't shake hands, so I don't want you liking him and you're not getting a Russell Westbrook jersey. The Vikings, every time they lose, which is all the time, they're very nice about it, Avi. I want you to be a good loser. Yes, just like the Vikings. Be a good loser. Can you say that? Be a good loser like the Vikings. Good loser like, like the, the Vikings. Vikings. Number one. How, uh, how close to home did I hit it? Or the game never was on TV last yeah, night in the audience household. No, there was a lot of, right. uh, okay. was it Sophia the First last night? What? Sophia the First? Don't know what? You don't know what that is? Nope. Sophia the First. Come on. She was a princess. I don't have a four-year-old daughter. She was daughter. just living in the village, doing all right. Then she became a princess overnight. Everything going to be okay? Uh, number four in our big four at four. All right. So what are your thoughts on Eric Thames um, being drug tested again by Major League Baseball after last night's uh, home run against the Reds? Brewers won again today. Thames did not hit a home run, but he has 11 on the season. And afterwards, he talked about his hot start to the year and being drug tested by MLB. This whole thing is surprising to me as well. You know, like I really have no goals for this year. You know, I wasn't, I'm not trying to break any records or set anything. Or I just want to apply what I learned in Korea to see how it would fare here. And, you know, so I'm shocked at all the results. I'm just here to, to play ball and um, do my best to stay healthy and stretch as much as I can. So, yeah, so if people keep thinking I'm on stuff, like I'll, I'll be here every day. I have, I have lots of blood and urine, so whatever. <laughs> Talked about stretching as much as he can there, which uh, now comes into play. He's got a little tight hamstring that uh, took him out of the game today. I, I like his approach to all of this, Drew, uh, but we kind of sensed that uh, from his introductory press conference in Milwaukee, from how he's handled the media from spring training on. He has a great demeanor and approach to all of this. The success is something that he seems to be 
embracing and having fun with. It's not made him uptight or, or uh, I mean, it just we look at how he's handled it. I think it's all good. Yeah, and his performance has been amazing. And I think that uh, when, uh, again, I was asking today on, in the Milwaukee portion of the program, uh, will he beat Chris Carter's uh, 41 homers? And I, I think it's still a little early to declare that. And Keith Law kind of said as much too, but it's just let's just enjoy the ride, enjoy what he's doing, have fun, buy the T-shirt, and and have fun with it. And he's having fun with it, which is really cool. It doesn't look like he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. And why would he? Just enjoy, let's just all enjoy the ride. And uh, if the steroid stuff continues to percolate, he can continue to give blood and urine every night. You know why not? <laughs> I love just you know that was great. I love the comments last night by Eric Thames. He's he sounds like he's just a, a a fun personality, and you know he's laughing about it and, and making jokes. And now I know we've been burned by athletes in the past, so I want that to be kept in mind as I say this. But it makes me want to believe him. You know, it makes me want. If you're saying, "Hey, I, hey, bring it on! I've got blood, I've got urine. Go test me!" Like it makes me want to believe that you're clean because I I think he's probably seen athletes in the past. Like, like example, Ryan Braun, who said, I didn't do this. And then we find out, well, yes, you did. And, you know, the fallout that you yeah. have to deal with that. So although I do understand Mike made the point first hour, what do you want him to say? Um, if, if you're going to be make a statement like that, it makes me want to believe you. And uh, I just think it's a great story. And. Let's just talk about his home runs. Another reason to love Eric Thames. Tom Hardicourt just tweeted that a bunch of Brewers are going to the Bucks game tomorrow. Thames played in Toronto but won't be rooting for the Raptors. Fear the deer, he said. Fear the See? beard. Yeah. <laughs> Fear the beard. Fear the beard, dear. He should go to the Milwaukee Admirals game tonight because they're having a big promotion with people with great beards because it's a playoff game. Well, he's got nothing else a, to do. They're, they're having a contest, yeah. And, so. and it's you can ice the hamstring if, if you're at a hockey Absolutely. game. There's a lot you, of ice. I bet you he would win that contest, just saying. I He'd get think. the popular vote. Yeah, I would think. Is that it, John? Mike, that is the four at four. Oh, the big wow, four we did all four, four of them? Yeah. Uh, ben Wargle, BadgerNation.com, will join us when we come back. Also, Ted Davis, just after the bottom of the hour, or at least the voice of Ted Davis. As we continue in a couple of minutes, stick around. This is the Mike Heller Show. Paperback writer. He's probably on a golf course somewhere dodging raindrops. We welcome in Benjamin Wargelman, BadgerNation.com. Ben, let me ask you a question on this uh, this piece I saw on Larry Brown Sports. Can, can I stop you real quick? What? Will you say his real name? There might be somebody listening to me like, Benjamin His name Wargleman. is Ben Wargle. Oh, okay. Ben Wargle. But his close friends call him Benjamin Wargleman. <laughs> Sorry. John's not in the loop. Uh, Larry Brown Sports put out a piece uh, earlier this uh, week. In fact, uh, I think it uh, hit on the 23rd by Dan Benton. That uh, is 10 colleges that have produced the best current NFL players. Wisconsin ranked third ahead of Alabama and ahead of USC and just behind Georgia and LSU. And what he says about the Badgers, that they had 26 players on an active roster in the NFL last season, three of them among the top 100 in the uh, players in 2016, in fact, all three of them in the top 25, one within the top five. When you think of the players that are in the NFL, Wisconsin, in this case, is considered an elite program. Any of that surprise you? 
Oh, no, it doesn't. And I, I think what really stood out to me was during this NFL free agency period, um, the contract signed by uh, Ricky Wagner, uh, making him one of the highest paid players in his position. Uh, you look at the interior with Kevin Zeitler, making him one of the highest paid players in his position. Joe Thomas is, you know, rarely misses a snap, future Hall of Famer. Travis Frederick is one of the best centers in the game. Uh, I mean, the list goes on there just from the offensive line standpoint. And then you look beyond the offensive line and you look at a guy like Russell Wilson, who was just here for a year, but his one Super Bowl was a yard away from winning another one. You just look at the guys, you look at J.J. Watt. When he's healthy, he's one of the most dynamic players in the NFL on the defensive side of the ball. You look at last year when Wisconsin only had two players drafted. Joe Schobert was number 99, first pick of the fourth round, and Derek Watt was in the sixth round. Both of those players made tremendous contributions to their team. I mean, Joe Schobert started, uh, played in every game. I think he started four for the Browns. Uh, Derek Watt played in every game, started two for the Chargers. I would be surprised if Derek Watts being drafted was a big reason why Melvin Gorin had such a great second season. I mean, there's another player for Wisconsin. And I look at this class that's going to be entering into the NFL here this upcoming weekend. There are some tremendous athletes in this class, not just Ryan Ramchick and TJ Watt, who could probably hear their name called tomorrow, but Vince Beagle, his productivity that he's had throughout his career. A guy like Soldier and Shelton, who's maybe undersized, but is a tremendous competitor. Leo Musso will be on a roster somewhere. Bart Houston will be on a roster somewhere. Wisconsin, because of their philosophy of being a developmental school, where very rarely do kids declare early. I think since 2001, only 10 players have declared early for the draft, something like that. Because these kids are sticking in school for four years, they have the tools and the knowledge so they can go into the NFL and they can make contributions right away and they can stick for a long period of time. Yeah, I, I think the other element to add to this is that the vast majority of the guys that we're talking about in this relation, other than Sojourn Shelton and before James White, they're Wisconsin kids. Or they're Wisconsin high school kids. Right. Yeah, without question. Uh, Kevin Zeiler, Wisconsin Lutheran, Joe Schobert, yeah. Waukesha West, uh, the Watt brothers from Pewaukee. Ryan Ramchek, Stevens Point, Vince Beagle, Wisconsin Rapids. Uh, you can, you know, just go right down the list. Joe Thomas, Brookfield yep. Central. I mean, it's it's impressive what Wisconsin has been able to do just by recruiting in-state talent and building out from there. I mean, Jared Everdaris, you know, Watoma, the work that he did converting from a quarterback to a wide receiver and then making it in the NFL. Alex Erickson, same thing from Darlington, quarterback to wide receiver. Made it with the Bengals. I mean, Travis Frederick from Walworth Bigfoot. I mean, that's what I think a lot of people have pride in around here is in-state recruiting for Wisconsin has always been the lifeblood of the program. And you look at the NFL rosters and the guys who are making it in the NFL and the connections to the state, it's not hard to understand why Wisconsin values those in-state high school prospects first rather than anyone else. You run through those names of guys that are in the NFL, and I'm like, well, what if Chris Borland hadn't retired? Because <laughs> how good would he right. be, and what kind of headlines would he be making? Yeah, he'd be up there, too. I mean, he had a tremendous first season with the Niners and then made the, the conscious decision that this isn't what I want to do long-term because of the ramifications that could come with this job. And, you know, he made that decision. You have to respect that decision. And, you know, other guys have kind of followed suit. Borland was kind of the trailblazer for that. And 
you know, there's, there's been a number of players over the years that had really strong NFL prospects who went to Wisconsin that had their seasons derailed because of injury or their careers derailed because of injury. And, you know, Borland made the, I think, uh, a wise decision for him, you know, to walk away. And you're right. I mean, Borland was one of the best linebackers I've ever seen play uh, in, in all the places that I, I, I covered Wisconsin. And he just was so intelligent when it came to the game, understood where things were going, where he needed to be, and how to make a play. And I still remember the story of him coming to Wisconsin's camp, and he did everything. He volunteered for everything, whether it was running routes, whether it was punting after practice. He did everything he could to show that he was a good athlete. And he wasn't highly recruited, and Wisconsin took a chance on him, and, and man, did that pay off on some really good defenses and during those Rose Bowl years. Um, a couple of final thoughts here before we wrap. Um, now that spring practice is done, wrapping up with the uh, spring game this past Friday night, of the early enrollees of those who uh, would be high school seniors right now and, and finishing up their senior year, the, those who entered early, which names should we be paying attention to that had good spring workouts? Well, I'd be cheating if I said Andrew Van Ginkle because he was one of the early enrollees, but he's played two years of college football, one in South Dakota and one in Iowa in, in junior college. And Wisconsin is going to need him to be able to contribute. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At that outside linebacker group, without question. Uh, I think the group had is a little bit better now than what it was at the beginning of spring because of the decision to move Leon Jacobs to outside, which is probably his more natural position. And over the last two weeks of spring, he was really impressive. And I think he will start fall camp on the one with the ones along with Garrett Dooley. You look at the rest of the group, you know, Jack Cohn got a lot of reps this spring and will be competing in the fall with Parade Lyles for the backup quarterback job. Isaiah Green May is another outside linebacker that enrolled early. He probably would have to add on some weight, but he made a nice play in the spring game with a forced fumble and a fumble recovery on Sam Brodner. You know, two corners in this group. Uh, Fayon Hicks was doing some, some good things early, but then had a had an arm injury that's probably going to keep him out throughout summer conditioning. That's probably going to put him behind, and he'll probably redshirt this year. Uh, Madison Cohn did some nice things, and he reminds me of, of kind of a young soldier in Shelton. They're both about the same height. They both have that chip on their shoulder. They both have a, a swagger to them. And you know, Madison Cohen had like 27 interceptions throughout his high school career. So he is a ball hawk. He knows what it takes to be able to make a play on the ball despite not being a six foot one corner. So anytime you have a kid enroll early, you always are curious to see how they develop from the start of spring to where the conclusion after 15 practices. And other than Fan Hicks, because he was injured, all the early enrollees, I thought, made a good step forward. Um, and I, I think that probably not this year, but certainly down the road, they'll be able to be able to have a big contribution on this offense and this defense. So you and Drew and I are going to go play a round of golf sometime soon. John can't make it. Um, but uh, we, we, Oh, that's too bad. I'm yeah. ready. I'm yeah. ready. I got okay. the clubs uh, all cleaned up and ready to go. Good. Sounds great. Uh, ben, thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care.
Ben Wargle, BadgerNation.com. Apparently, I can't. If John's in studio, I can't refer to him as Benjamin Wargleman anymore. No, I, you're you, so offended. No, I wasn't offended. I'm just. I was just saying, uh, hey, you know, there might be someone listening going. He that? stuck up for Kostaki yesterday too. Yeah, I yeah. guess he can't have fun with names anymore. No, Jonathan Arias. Hey, stop it. Ted I Davis. Had a, I had a guy on Twitter. Sorry, never mind. Go ahead. A guy on Twitter tweeted me today about he just found my my Twitter account because my name is all messed up. And he said, um, for the longest time, I could not tweet at you because I thought your name was J-O-H-N-O-T-T-I-U-S. Also, I thought you were white and bald. Well, you're some of those things. Yeah. I have hair, though. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll visit with Ted Davis or the voice of Theodore. Uh, he will join us, scheduled to join us, Ted Davis, the voice of the Milwaukee Bucks, next on The Mike Keller Show. Hey, it's Mike Keller for Star Satellite, local authorized DirecTV retailer and one-stop shop for your satellite needs. Star Satellite helped me switch from cable to DirecTV, and it was easy. Now I have a superior sports channel lineup, hassle-free local service, and Star Satellite can help you discover the best programming options for you and save you time and money along the way. See for yourself. Let Star Satellite do a side-by-side cost comparison on your monthly cable or satellite bill. Call them today at 844-523-STAR. That's 844-523-STAR. It will be an elimination game on Thursday night at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. It will tip at 6 o'clock, and the voice calling that game is Ted Davis on the Bucks Radio Network. Hello, Ted. How are you? Good afternoon. You didn't notice I changed my walk-up music. Yeah, little Tom Petty. Yeah, I'm feeling very petty today. What are you What are you feeling petty about, Ted? <laughs> <laughs> uh, afternoon, guys. You're feeling petty because Russell Westbrook didn't shake hands after his loss? No, <laughs> Russell Westbrook's going to be Russell Westbrook, and you just got to let him roam. What is it? Uh, what What's been different the last two times out, Ted, uh, with this matchup, Bucks and, and Raptors, with the season on the line tomorrow night? What's been different the last two times out uh, that Toronto has had the upper hand, uh, both in Toronto and in Milwaukee, prior to that? Weirdly enough, I think it's a guy named Norman Powell, yeah. who to the Bucks has become Norman Bates. It's kind of a psycho thing he's got going. <laughs> he is seven for seven on threes in the last two games. And that's the big adjustment that Dwayne Casey made in this series, and it did a couple of things. You know, the weird part is he played five minutes in game one, zero, no minutes, DNP by coach's decision in game two, 14 minutes of mop-up duty in that 27-point Bucks blowout in game three, and then they start him, and it's done a couple of things. When, when they were starting Valanchunas and Ibaka side-by-side, and the Bucks were just quicker than Toronto and got up and down the court quicker uh, by putting Powell – in the lineup, he's done a really good job defensively against Chris Middleton, kind of gotten him off his game a little bit. And then Valanchunas is a bigger body to come in with that second group and guard Greg Monroe. So, uh, you know, kudos to Casey for making that chess move after game three, and so far it's paid off. Now, I think for the Bucks to win tomorrow night, and by the way, I think they will. I have felt this series would go seven uh, the entire time, and I'm not backing off of that. I think the Bucks will find a way to win. Uh, but certainly they're going to have to uh, get that shooting percentage down for Toronto. You can't let them shoot 57% as they did in Game 5. And somebody's going to have to help out Giannis. If he gets 30, 
and nobody else does anything, the Bucks aren't going to win. So other guys have to step up. And who might that be, Ted? I mean, who, whose night is it going to be to to take the bull by the horns? Well, Middleton's going to have to find a way to to shed Powell and the defense that he has played on him and hit shots when he has them. Uh, I think Greg Monroe needs to play well off the bench again. If Snell and Della Vadova are out there and they've got open shots, they've got to drain them. And then Brogdon has to continue to play well. And that was the one guy that did step up in Game 5. Brogdon had 19 points and hit five threes in the game. Uh, Your defense will have to be flying all over the court, as it did in Game 1 and Game 3. And Toronto has gone back to shooting corner threes. And that was a big weapon that they used in the last couple of games. And it was a weakness for the Bucks' defense pretty much the entire season up until the last I don't know, month of the season when they kind of figured out how to defend that shot. They've got to get back to chasing them off the three-point line. You know, I looked at Middleton the other night. Now, he missed the shoot-around because he wasn't feeling well, and then he just never appeared to be 100%. Uh, Is it just a bug, or is some of this catching up to him? What's his story? I think it's just a virus that he's had. Uh, You know, he couldn't go to shoot-around. I understand he wasn't at practice today. So it's still lingering, and you know he'll go out and play, but that's a concern because you you have a feeling that he's not a hundred percent. But then maybe you know maybe he'll pull off one of those Michael Jordan games where he's sick and plays way above his head. Uh, I think they're going to need him tomorrow night to certainly uh, score more points than he did in Game Five. And uh, you know I think Giannis has figured out how to attack what Toronto is doing against him. They were still throwing a lot of bodies at him in Game 5. They were getting physical with him, and yet the kid stepped up and scored 30 points. Uh, I think he's going to do his part, but he can't be a, a solo act. He's got to have uh, more help. Ted, the turnovers that the Bucks have, have committed, it hasn't been as much pressure. Giannis had a few. He cut them down in Game 5, but it just they seem to be coming from just about everywhere. I mean, it's it's just, it's hard to pinpoint what they can do to cut those down. I've always felt turnovers are contagious. Uh, you know, if you, if you start early in a game and you have three or four on maybe four out of five possessions, and it just kind of snowballs. And I, I thought that happened in the last two games. But that's been a significant thing. You know, the Bucks in game one, when they won in Toronto, only had five turnovers for the entire game. Well, in game four, they had, uh, they had 21. They had 15 in game five but you look at the points off turnovers my goodness 28 points off those 15 turnovers so literally every time you turn the ball over they scored so that that's just a backbreaker and and you know it's it's so demoralizing to watch them running down the court especially when you turn it over foul line or extended and they're scoring easy baskets yeah you've got to i always say protect the basketball like i protect uh, protect my per diem on the road keep a very tight grip on it <laughs> uh, talking with Ted Davis, the voice of the Milwaukee Bucks. Now that you've seen this team through five, both teams through five games of this series, game six tomorrow night, six o'clock central time at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. What have the Bucks done particularly well, and what do they have to do if they're going to force it to game seven? When they've won the games, they have set the pace. Uh, they have been the aggressor. Uh, Jason Kidd likes to use the term, well, we hit them first. And they did that in, really, I thought the first three games. Uh, even the game that Toronto won in game two, the Bucks were the aggressors for the better part of that game, and they certainly were in games one and three. And then Toronto got the pace shifted to a much slower, half-court, ugly kind of slog 
in game four, and then the Bucks' defense let down in game five. They, the 57% shooting is too much. So you've got to come out. You've got to hit first. You've got to be the aggressor. You've got to be running all over the court like your hair and your pants are on fire defensively, as they did in games one and game three. And if you can't muster that up, if you can't do it, then you'll be going home after the game tomorrow night. I think they'll find a way to do it. I think we'll go back to Toronto for Game 7 on Saturday. History tells you that the home team wins Game 7, so that's, that's a tough order if you get past the game tomorrow night. Uh, in fact, in my 33 years of broadcasting NBA games, I've had five Game 7s, and the home team has won all five games. It's just set up for the home team to dominate in a seven-game series when they play Game 7 at home, but you never know what happens. I mean, uh, Lowry's back could tighten up. The entire team could be distracted by Drake's girlfriend courtside on a key <laughs> defensive possession. Giannis sneaks back door, and the Bucks win. You never know what's going to happen. The guy I want to watch, Ted, is uh, Moose. I mean, Monroe seemed to me in Game 5 to be frustrated uh, a little bit. I mean, that, that whole that little dust-up with Valanchunas aside, he just didn't seem like he was – as effective or in the flow as he was in other games. Well, and that's that's the Valanciunas effect, I think. You know, when when he was coming in in the first three games, uh, Valanciunas a lot of times was on the bench, and they had a, a smaller player on him. He, even Ibaka, he's done pretty well against Ibaka in this series, and you wouldn't have thought that because Ibaka is the shot blocker. But Valanciunas is just he's big. He's seven feet. He's wide. He's strong. And I think that's frustrated Monroe more than anything. And and Monroe plays below the rim. We know that. He's not a leaper. He's not a jumper. He's got to have that finesse hook shot. And when you've got a big guy that can push him out a little bit and get physical with him, uh, that's a tougher assignment for Greg Monroe. So he's going to have to adjust to that and find a way to make a move quickly, perhaps get Valanchunas airborne, get him in foul trouble, and then he can be more effective. You know, I, I, I still think back to uh, to the situation in, in Game 5 of Valanciunas and Monroe off the rebound in which uh, there, there's a, a, you know, they got they got it at both ends of the court. How is there no foul on the on the Toronto end of the court when Valanciunas and Monroe get hooked up and Monroe essentially gets, uh, there's a wrestling move that takes him down? Oh, Mike, you've been listening to my broadcast for all these years, haven't you? <laughs> well, I have, yes. This is a question I ask. Every game, how, how is that? How 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 how? That's about that's me on the air. How I don't I I don't understand. <laughs> there were two calls. Hey, look, for the most part, referees calls don't decide a game. Right. But there is an uneven playing field sometimes. There there were two calls in the third quarter when uh, the the Raptors went up for shots and the Bucks kind of clipped them a little bit. Damari Carroll was involved in one, and then they're shooting free throws. And I'll be doggone about. Two possessions later, the same thing happens to Chris Middleton on the other end. No whistle, you know, play yeah, on. Right. Jason Kidd complained about it, but I, I, I don't know. Unless you're LeBron James, which means you get every call, I, I, can't, I can't figure it out. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, you think they're going to win tomorrow night. That's all I need. Uh, I just need to know that you think they're going to win tonight, uh, tomorrow night and uh, send it back to Toronto and one more trip to Ontario for a Game 7 on Saturday. I do. I think they'll find a way to win. I, I, you know, the Raptors have not been really good in Game Six in their history. I, I do think there's a tendency to take your foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, I think there'll be a really loud crowd again tomorrow night. I understand a lot of Brewers are coming to the game tomorrow. I think a lot of Packers will be there. And uh, could we get uh, could we we get that hot hitter for the uh, Brewers to 
maybe hit a corner three. You think he could do that? Yeah, absolutely. And and he played in Toronto, but he said uh, today, "Fear the deer." He's not rooting for the Raptors. He is he is a Bucks man. So all right, Eric well, Thames will be maybe on board. sneak him in, put him in the corner. Yeah. He's hot. Let you him do it. jack one up. You can do it. Uh, Ted, we'll look forward to the call tomorrow night. Thank you. All right, thank you guys. Bye. Ted Davis, the radio voice of the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, th- there are many times, you know, John does this when he calls games. I've done it when I've called games, and Ted does it on a, a somewhat regular basis. How is that not a foul? You know, it's just certain times <laughs> yeah. in a game where a play happens, and you go, how is that not a foul? That and play especially. Like, yeah. and, and the referee's right there looking at it. It was like a jujitsu move that Valanciunas flipped Greg Monroe over. And like, that's not a foul. You're not going to call anything there. And then somebody breathes on, breathes on somebody uh, coming down the lane and pulling up and fading away. And it's like, that's a, that's a hack. What? Really? What if, constitutes a foul? By the way, if I had a pet peeve on, on fouls that aren't fouls in both college and the NBA, is when you get a defender in the air, you know, on the pump fake, mm-hmm. but then as the shooter, you jump into the defender. If the defender goes up in the air and he's kind of going straight up, where is the rule stated that at that point, if you jump into him, the foul's on him? Yeah, that's crazy. That's a, it's, and it's perpetual. I mean, it's always been the case if on a pump fake you get the defender in the air, and then you jump into him, the foul is going to be That's on the what, defender. Um, it's Billy, just silly. Billy Packer called that the principle of verticality, right? You're a, As a defender, you're allowed to go straight up, and you own that space, and you, yeah. know, you and should it, be able to do that. And, and they'll call it every time, and it's obvious. It, it's obvious to the officials, because once the defender is in the air, the shooter jumps diagonally or vert, you know, forward into him or diagonally into him. That should never be a foul on the defender. Never? Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, okay. It's always Because they're the ones foul. initiating contact. Yeah, and they know they got the, the defender same... in the air. If the defender is in the air kind of going straight up, or if he's next to you, like not straight in front oh, of then you, you, dive to the side. And you jump to the side, and they still call it a, a defensive foul. What about That's from, wrong. Yeah, what about from the perspective of you are able to make the defender be in a pe- bad position, right? Like it's not. He's doing well, something. Two he's two he's somewhere where he shouldn't be. Two, two different looks. One is the exterior, the perimeter pump fake and shot, which is the one I'm talking about, because right. the defender will go up at the three-point arc, and then you just jump into him, and that's a, that's a three-shot foul. That's different than the one in the lane. If you pump fake on the block and the defender goes up in the air and you wait and then you go up, the defender just automatically comes down and smacks you because you know he's not going to give you the free basket. That's different than the perimeter. It's the perimeter one I'm talking about, and it happens every night. Every single night. It's frustrating. I'm going to stop watching. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not watching gonna stop any longer. Watching. Uh, we'll, uh, what are we doing? Our big five at five happens here in just a few minutes. we get, we got a lot of ground to cover in the five o'clock hour, including Eric Thames, right? He, uh, he met with the media postgame. We've got that for you, and you'll get that in just a bit. Stick around. This is the Mike Heller Show. They're the in crowd, we're the other ones It's a different kind of cloth that we're cut from We let our colors show where the numbers ain't We're the paint where there ain't supposed to be paint That's who we are This is the Mike Keller Show That's how we roll Call the show at 877-729-1070 Send a tweet 
That's my killer show. Yes. Yeah, uh... Now here's my killer. Back with you on a get me through Wednesday. And the Brewers making it a lot easier as they win again today. Sweeping away the Cincinnati Reds, and the Brewers are 12 and 11 with an off day tomorrow. Eric Thames did not homer, but he did single in the game. He also left the game in the eighth inning with just a little bit of hamstring tightness. Craig Council says it is not a big deal. So we'll see when they play Friday against the Atlanta Braves at Miller Park in Milwaukee. Welcome aboard. I'm Mike Heller. That's Drew Olson right there. Hello, Drew. Good afternoon, Mike. How's your hamstring? My hamstring is just fine. Yep, just fine. John Audius, meanwhile. John, an update on your physical well-being. Hey, fellas, what's up? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling good. No hamstring issues, no quad issues. The shoulder, sometimes if I don't warm up properly and put a lot of stress on the shoulder, my left shoulder in particular will be like, what are you doing? Drew's got a shoulder issue. I've got a shoulder issue. You've got a bit of a shoulder issue. The icing really helps, I've noticed, (laughs) when I've actually decided to ice it. That's a good idea. I need some frozen peas. It's a good idea when you decide to do it. Like Mm. I've noticed right away, I'm like, okay, it feels a lot better. Mm. I think maybe it's all in my head. Hey, I'm going to bring something up right now. Can I bring up a stat? Sure. Kind of like a stat of the day. Right now. Good friend of the show, Joe Robinson. I know Joe. Just tweeted this out. Brewers record through 23 games. 1981, 13 and 10. 1982, 13 and 10. 2008, 13 and 10. 2011, 12 and 11. I know where you're going now. 2017, 12 and 11. Probably going to make the playoffs. Those are all the playoff years, right? 81, 82, 08. 2011. Yeah. Um, yeah, they can't get to the 13 and 10 mark, but they are matching the 2011. Uh, it's a pretty darn good start. start. It's in the big five at five if you want to go. Oh, there it right is. Away. Yeah. All right, John. Well, you're in charge. If you want to start the show, start the show. This is the big five at five. The top five trending sports stories this hour. Number five. Here's what's trending. Number five in our big five at five, guys. The Brewers win again. And like I just mentioned, now 12 and 11 this season. That's a pretty darn good start for a team picked to win. How many games from Vegas? 70 something from Vegas? Wasn't yeah, I think it? it's right in the mid 70s. I think that's uh, a fair. One of the bottom feeders as far as the Vegas odds. Yeah, and now understand, obviously, they have cleaned up on the Cincinnati Reds. They're 6-1, and one, I believe, against the Reds, 2-0 and oh against the Blue Jays, so they're 8-1 and one against the Reds and Blue Jays. Is that, uh, do I have to factor that in? Then they're 4-10 and 10 against everybody else. Oh. But, I, I mean, again, that, that doesn't matter. You, you can skew and, and kind of... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Spread stats out how, however you want. Yes, it's a good start for the Brewers. And offensively, they have been very good. Uh, Pitching-wise, they have not been as good, but I think some of that was expected. Uh, Defensively, they got off to a rocky start, but they've been uh, pretty good over the last couple of weeks. 
Um, yeah, you know, if I, if anybody, this is how we kind of measure these things, right? If we would have gone back to April 3rd and said, hey, when you get that off day at the end of April on the Thursday before the Braves come to town, what if we just said, hey, you can have a 12 and 11 record. Do you want to fast forward to that date? I think uh, Craig Council would say, yep, we'll take it. David Stearns, yep, we'll take that. Um, yeah, if, you're, if you were told you could be 12 and 11 going into the Braves series, I think everybody takes it and says yes. It's a good start, off day, and then uh, finish the homestand against the Braves. It's real early to draw conclusions. I don't even start thinking about final records or anything like that until we get to the quarter poll or about Memorial Day. Yeah. Memorial Day, John. That's when you measure it. All right. Well, sorry. I brought up 12 and 11. Number four. I just like that tweet from Joe Robinson. I saw it. I thought I'd share it. Number four in our big five at five. The Bucks and Raptors will tip at six o'clock tomorrow, just after six o'clock from the BMO Harris Bradley Center. It's a must win for Milwaukee. So what do the Bucks need to do to force a game seven? What's the number one thing? Go ahead, Drew. I am going to say that they need to control the tempo and get up and transition in the way that they did in uh, games one and especially game three. They just haven't been able to do that, and it's it's noticeable. Shut down, uh, obviously shut down DeRozan and Lowry if you can. Norman Powell for sure. He's been ridiculous. And get somebody to help Giannis because Giannis can't do it alone. As good as he is, he can't do it alone. So they need somebody like Monroe or Middleton or somebody to take some of the scoring heat off of him and uh, play at a quicker tempo. And uh, you know, make some free throws if it's close. Yeah, I I, I agree, and I also would add this to it that um, Toronto got peripheral scoring. You mentioned Powell, uh, the Bucks didn't. They got it from Brogdon. It happened a little bit later in the game. They need Chris Middleton, and Middleton, as Ted Davis just told us a few minutes ago, was not at today's workout. Uh, he missed the shooter on the other day. That makes me anxious as far as the Bucks' opportunities. Middleton is one of those go-to secondary scorers and Giannis needs that go-to guy Toronto got it from an unlikely source Powell who was a coach's decision to not even play in game two so that's what the Bucks need they need peripheral scoring and where does it come from if it doesn't come from Chris Middleton so that that's the part that would make me a bit nervous and considering that Middleton missed the workout today just not feeling well enough uh, that uh, gives me cause to pause about what happens tomorrow night Number three. Sounds like a segment. What's going to give you cause to pause? Something like that. It rhymes. It's catchy. Good job, Mike. Work on that, will you? Yeah. Number three in our big five at five. Your thoughts on the massive cuts today by the worldwide leader ESPN uh, reports upwards to a a hundred people uh, being let go. And that includes um, on-air talents, um, writers as well, uh, including the likes of Ed Warder, longtime NFL reporter. For ESPN, Jason Stark, baseball uh, reporter, Trent Dilfer. Um, you you've dealt with this, uh, Ryan Rosillo, who does uh, um, Danny Cannell rather Cannell, who works with Rosillo. Um, Drew, you've been in an industry that has been heavily affected by these types of moves. What's your view of what do you see happening today? Yeah, it's just a drag. It's the tightening of the belt. It's um, you know, will all these people be applying at FS1 now? <laughs> Yeah. Maybe they've hired yeah. a bunch of ESPN kind of castoffs, and I just think it's a sign of a bigger thing in sports. Have we reached saturation? Because the the model for sports has been teams pay ridiculous salaries to players because they make ridiculous money from the TV networks, and if the TV networks aren't making ridiculous money with the programming, something's got to give. And what's happened is, again, we've said it before like, that the um, 
the people and the millennials and people just cutting the cord and not not subscribing to cable anymore has hurt everybody uh, in in sports, but it's hurting the worldwide leader because they have so much allocated to rights to broadcast games that they have to cut in other areas, and that's what's happening. It's the newspaper industry, which I was part of for 20-some years, said the same thing when suddenly Craigslist came about and people could sell their car without buying an ad in the in the newspaper. Yeah, and the, and the next gen of this is, um, you know, 20 years ago, if somebody said, hey, a new newspaper is going to go away because people aren't going to get the paper delivered anymore. They're just going to get it all online. I mean, if the newspaper industry said, no, nah, I don't think that, I don't see that. In, in television, the millennials and then next, they're not cabled. You know, I know the sports yeah. fans are, you know, to a certain extent, but you don't necessarily have to be cabled, and that's an issue. Where ESPN gets their money is as a as a distributor from satellite and cable. I don't know what it is, like a buck seventy five per household, something like that, which is a huge deal every month. And the more people unplug the smaller the revenues. It's not just ad revenues that ESPN draws from or FS1. It is the uh, subscription rate that they get. And the more those unplug, the more money they lose. And the bigger the rights fees they pay for college basketball tournaments or college football, the the playoff, Major League Baseball, the NFL, um, there are going to be casualties. And we've seen it in other industries. It's happened in our business, obviously in the radio entertainment business, it's happened within this company. And today, for the second time in a couple of years, it happens uh, at the forefront at ESPN with names and voices that you hear and read and watch every day. Number two. Number two in our big five at five. Do you have a problem with Russell Westbrook leaving the court last night after his Thunder lost to the Rockets and he didn't shake anyone's hand or I mean, he didn't shake hands with anyone? Can you believe it? Do you have a problem with that? You I should just never uh, play in the league again. I can't bring myself to care. Um, I just because, and again, maybe it's because I've spent a lot of hours at the soccer field on Saturdays and Sundays and watched the kids go through the line. Good game, good game, good game, good game, and it meant nothing. And it just doesn't really mean anything. I mean, I mean, if I'm in the arena and I see it, I might notice it. But otherwise, like if, if it's not for the TV cameras following the star players around, like wh- how would you notice? How would you even know? How do we know that Bill Russell shook hands with everybody after every game or Bob Cousy? There was no film following them around. There's no cameras. Yeah, I, I I view it a little bit differently. I don't equate it necessarily to the mandatory handshake line at, after a Little League game or a soccer match in which you just get the good game, good game, good game, good game, good game. I, I see it in the NBA, and, and it was organic last night. Uh, many of the other players are out there giving hugs, a little conversation, and, uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, great work, hard-fought series, good luck next round, that kind of a thing. And But before that even started, when the, when the clock hit all zeros, Westbrook immediately went up the tunnel. Now, do I think this is a, a game-changer in my view of Russell Westbrook? No. But everything you do has an impact. So if, if I make a deposit into my respect Russell Westbrook bank on one thing, I make a withdrawal on another. Last night I made a withdrawal. It's not a big one. It's not a game changer. But I, I make deposits on his television commercials because he can be self-deprecating. He can be funny. He's engaging. Um, I make deposits, or rather withdrawals, when he handled the uh, press conference the way he did the other night. Um, I, I made a bit of a withdrawal last night when he walked off the court in that fashion. It's not a significant deal, but 
everything you do and you live in that fishbowl, it gets reacted to. And and I think that there are debits and credits to your account. Last night is a bit of a debit for me. Uh, for me, it's just a fine line between that guy's such a fiery competitor to that guy's a sore loser. Me personally, I would like my athletes to try to lose with class. You mean the Vikings? Yeah. When they lose. Yeah, lots of Always. practice, so they're probably good at it. But when I see like Cam Newton, I don't, I don't like that. I mean, just come on. You lost. Deal with it and move on. And once again, it's easy for the dude sitting behind the microphone sitting down for eight hours a day to say that, um, not being the fiery competitive athlete that these, that these guys are. But I want you to go shake a couple hands, you know, show that you can handle losing. I think I'd respect the athlete a little bit more. And that's not saying that all of a sudden all respect has been lost and Russell Westbrook should be blah, blah, blah. No, I'm just saying it's you lose, like you said, the, the debit. You lose a little bit of respect, at least I do. Number one. It's not a huge deal. Uh, number one in our big five at five. What you, do you threw guys... him under the bus. Threw him under the bus. What do you guys think about Eric Thames' reaction last night after hitting his 11th home run, major league leading 11th home run, and then being drug tested by Major League Baseball? He had this to say about his hot start and also being tested by MLB. And that is not the right one. That's not the right one, Let's John. The button here. Hit the other button. Hit this button. Oh, boy. Three, you two, are one. not doing well. This whole well. thing is surprising to me as well. You know, like, I really have no goals for this year. You know, I wasn't, I'm not trying to break any records or set anything. Or I just want to apply what I learned in Korea to see how it would fare here. And, you know, so I'm shocked at all the results. I'm just here to, to play ball and um, do my best to stay healthy and stretch as much as I can. So, yeah, so if people keep thinking I'm on stuff, like, I'll, I'll be here every day. I have, I have lots of blood and urine, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Coincidence? Uh, they took blood and urine last night. You didn't homer today. Yeah, and his hamstring hurt, so he's depleted. It led to cramping. Right. Yes. How dare they? Come on. Uh, I I think the way he's handled all of this is uh, is really great. You know, he and we kind of saw it when he was introduced at his uh, Brewers introductory press conference. Uh, knew it from the on deck event, from spring training. Everybody felt like, hey, people are going to love this guy. Uh, and if he could play, and he can play through 22 games, now through 23 games, he can play. Uh, and I think think he's handled all of it exceptionally well. So far, so good. Yeah, it's been a great signing already. He's got, uh, you know, uh, three or two two years and, you know, two and, two and three quarters years left <laughs> to make it a good sign. But, no, he's a bargain, and... The one thing that gets me, guys, is I'm starting to hear people ask, oh, what will they be able to get for Thames when they trade him? I'm like, what do you, why would you trade a guy like that? People, Brewers fans are actually starting to ask, well, what, what do we get when we trade him? What, what can you possibly get that gives you the value he's giving you right now, leading the majors like in homers and slugging percentage? What are you going to get back? You know, somebody's A-ball pitcher? Like how many A-ball pitchers do you need to equal that for $5 million? It is, just doesn't, the math doesn't work. Uh, I'm with you, but is the thought process maybe by those fans, are they thinking, hey, you're getting way more than you expected out of Eric Thames, so maybe sell while he's hot, you know? Sell that iPhone 7 before the iPhone yeah, but, 8 comes out. Yeah, but you don't have anything really invested in him, so why sell it? Why why is there a need to sell it? Well, we can get more prospects. Really, what, How about this idea? How about the Brewers' rebuild is a two- or three-year plan, and I would say Travis Shaw's in this too. Thames and Shaw could be part of it. They could be on, you know, they could, you could keep them around for the back end of it. I, I'm there with you on that side, uh, w- without question. 
Uh, Drew, uh, we're gonna we're gonna let you get out of here. Uh, you've worked All really right, hard sir. today, and I, I think it's time for you to pop open a nice cold beer. Ah, I like that. Uh, if I, if you order me to, I will do that. All right, we're ordering right, you boys. out. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. Uh, by the way, tomorrow Drew will be in Milwaukee, uh, Bucks and Raptors. I will be in Appleton at Scuba's Poor House. P O U R Scuba's Poor House. Poor. And uh, and at, at at shortly after this time tomorrow night. Uh, I will allow them to pour me a nice cold beer. Oh, uh, I get it. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to be there. I'm going to be there from 2 until 6 and beyond tomorrow night for the NFL draft. Uh, so if you are listening on The Score or on iHeartRadio in the Fox River Valley, or you'll be there tomorrow, stop down and see me. I'll be broadcasting from Scuba's Poor House on Wisconsin Avenue in Appleton from 2 until 6 and hanging around after that. Oh, yeah. The draft starts tomorrow, the first round. The NFL draft, John. It's funny because... The Bucks are keeping us entertained. Eric Thames is keeping us entertained. And, uh, oh, yeah, the Packers have a pick tomorrow in the first round of the draft. Yeah. It's almost like the third thing on my list right now as a sports fan in Wisconsin. And, of course, that differs if you're more into football than you are into other yeah. sports, but still. Yeah, and uh, and I'll pay attention to the draft, but all I'm really interested in is, is what happens late. I'll be interested in Ramchek. I'll be interested in T.J. Watt. Those are the two on the board from the Badgers tomorrow night, and obviously the Packers are on the board at 29 unless they trade up or out of the first round. Uh, we'll hear from Eric Thames. Craig Council as well met with the media. We'll talk a little Brewers. Their win today, three straight against the Reds. And an off day coming. We'll hear from one of the stars of this uh, 12 and 11 start for the Milwaukee Brewers, Eric Thames. We'll get to that coming back. This is the Mike Heller Show. It's a good day again where the Milwaukee Brewers are concerned. Man, they love right now playing those Cincinnati Reds. And the Brewers improved to 6-1 against the Reds. Now 12-11 on the year, sweeping the three-game set against Cincinnati. An off day tomorrow before the Atlanta Braves come to town. Good news on the Brewers' front. Little concerning late in the game today, Eric Thames, the Brewers' first baseman, who didn't homer today but did have two walks and a single in the affair with the Reds. He was pulled out of the game in the eighth inning with some hamstring tightness. And uh, so that's a little bit of of anxious times for Brewers fans. Craig Council did say after the game, not a big deal. Just a uh, precaution where that's concerned. Uh, Milwaukee got off to a fast start. Gets a good win today after the game. The Brewers first baseman, Eric Thames, met with the media. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, No, just, you know, the normal wear and tear from uh, from playing every day. But... um, you know, it's all right. You know, we have an off day tomorrow, so I'm going to take full advantage of that and uh, come back on Friday ready to go. Is there still an acclimation process in getting used to the, the schedule? Because it is a little bit different than what you're used to. Is that still something you got to... Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I feel like everybody's like that, you know. In terms of, like, you know, playing time, like May, June, you start to really get in that groove, and it's like your body's, you know, acclimated to it. And then, of course, it gets hotter and everything's like that. So, um um, yeah, I mean, I feel like my health is good, and, um, you know, like, thankfully, you know, I, I've been blessed enough to be on base enough and scoring a lot, so um, <clears throat> that also takes a toll. So, um, yeah, like I said, I come back Friday, ready to go. You don't want to complain about being on base too much, though, do you? <laughs> oh, I mean, like I said, like, I'm thankful. It's a blessing, you know, especially today, you know, um, you know, like, you know, offense, and when, when offense explodes out like that, you know, it takes the pitchers off the hook a lot, so we'll take that any day. 
I know you've gotten a lot of individual attention for this series against the Reds, but how about the rest of the offense? I mean, 29 runs for you guys. Oh, I know. I mean, I mean, it's funny, like, you know, seeing, seeing uh, DC, the hitting guy, you know, walking around, like, like he's pumped. I mean, you know, like his scouting reports helped us out so much, you know, and everybody's, you know, kind of getting hot right now, you know, and that's good because, um, you know, I, I say it a thousand times how, you know, our team, we don't depend on one three-run home run or a grand slam to win a game. It's like, you know, everybody strings together hits, and I think that's what makes us dangerous. Do you feel like your individual success is kind of helping motivate other guys in the batter's box a little bit? Well, I hope so. I mean, hope hope guys aren't mad, you know. Um, you know, because I'm trying to, to do things for them. I'm trying to pick them up. So hopefully, you know, they'll pick me up as well. Because, cause, uh, you know, there will be times where I'll be 0 for 15 or something like that. And, like, you know, I'll strike out in a big situation. And the guy behind me, Braun, or whoever's sitting there will pick me up. So I'm counting on that. Oh, yes, days. yes. I mean, trust me, like like a week ago, we we're just like, all right, just keep going, guys. We got, you know, we got off day and Thursday. So, yeah, we've been looking forward to this. So I'm pumped to just stay in bed. I'm not going to move. <laughs> pumped. Yeah, so much for exploring the city. I know. Well, actually, well, it depends how all the weather is. I heard Saul was going to be rainy tonight and everything. So we'll see. But I'm just looking forward to sleeping in and just, like, not having to go to the park and not going to touch a bat. A lot of guys are going through. Actually, I will touch a bat. A but. lot of guys are going through the Bucks game. Yeah, Bucks game. So that would be cool to see. Like, a, I've never been uh, to a playoff basketball game before. So that would be kind of cool to be in the atmosphere and the environment. And, Play Toronto. You're not going to root for the Raptors, are you? No. Fear the deer. Fear the deer. <laughs> Eric Thames meeting with the media after the game. He is uh, he is upbeat, lighthearted, and fun to talk to. And uh, obviously fun to talk to in good times. But I think he's proven that he's okay in all times. He's a perfect combination right now of production and awesome. Right? He's hitting home runs. And he's awesome to listen to because many times, and I'm not saying there's a right way to do it, but many times you'll get the the standard cliche guy, right? You'll get the guy who is maybe sounds disinterested after the game and is more interested in just getting out of there and not talking to anyone and to each his own. But Thames sounds like he's really enjoying having a conversation with you and he laughs and he makes it fun. And add on top of that, he's producing. So right now, Everything is equating to awesome for Eric Thames, and it's yeah. it's so cool. I, I agree with the story that. story's so cool. Uh, good stuff there, Eric Thames, and the Brewers getting another win today. If you want to jump in, you can. 877-729-1070. 877-729-1070. We also have Craig Council from today's postgame. Uh, the Brewers, again, getting a win today against Cincinnati Reds, improving to 12-11 and 11 on the season. Brewers manager, Craig Council. Craig, what happened with Eric? Um, he has a little left hamstring tightness. Not serious. Did he hurt it? So it looked like he grimaced when he fouled that pitch off the other field. Did he say what happened in that? No, they're just just kind of tightened up over the day. I mean, he's been he's been doing it quite a bit. It's really the on base stuff that's been you know he's just been on base a whole bunch and running the bases, scoring from first. Um, so just a whole bunch of base running. A little bit more than you thought coming in. Uh, like, had he not been so crazy hot, might Jesus have played a game or two during this stretch? I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's yeah. That's that's the. Um, I think that initially with Jesus' spring, I think, but it's you know, a guy plays good. He's he he can handle it. I mean, he's going to have some off days throughout the year. There's no question, but. Um, 
you know, when when guys are swinging the bat that good too, you you, you know you're going to leave them in there. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, we'll see, but it's not going to be. It's, it's not a big deal. Your first inning, we've talked about it several times. You guys are just awesome in the first inning with your offense. Well, I, I think, you know, on a day like today when there's a, you know, when you have young pitchers on the mound for the other team, I think it's it's an important, you know, statement you can make for them where they just never get comfortable. You know, they just are not allowed to kind of get into a game. Um, and, and we did a great job. I mean, our first eight guys had very productive at-bats, quality at-bats. Um, with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Did, did something positive with each at bat. So it was, you know, it's good to see. And we've, we've done a nice job of that against, uh, you know, some young starting pitchers and some, and some good starting pitchers too, you know. So that's um, it's obviously a good formula for success. What did you make of Willie today? Well, it was a grind for Willie. I mean, you know, the four home runs were, you know, obviously put runs on the board, but you know what I, I, did, I did think his off-speed stuff was better today. The seven strikeouts today was was very good to see. Um, but it, you know it was a little bit of a grind for him for sure. I mean he made some mistakes and and they um, you know they they put some big swings on him. Yeah, I thought a few extra pitches because of errors. Too. Yeah, I mean that, that's the other thing we had. You know we had some balls to get out of the inning for him and some extra pitches um, that he was forced to throw, for sure. One by one, we've seen some of your guys have big games to kind of get going, and maybe Orlando was was today. Um, well, no, I mean it was a it's a nice game out of that spot for sure. Um, but I mean Orlando's you know Orlando doesn't have to be you know the number one offensive producer. He, he's just carries his weight. A day like day, he adds something to the offensive mix and still play the the high caliber defense that he's played all season. Um, you know that'll be fine, but he's he's doing fine. You know he's he's doing fine. Hey, we're scoring plenty. We're scoring you know plenty of runs here. Yeah. <laughs> Craig, on that note of scoring runs, despite the three wins these these last three games, are the eight errors a concern? I mean, we don't want to make errors, yeah. Um, and and I think it'll be. Um, Look, when you're playing at your best, you know there's there's certainly things we can clean up, and you're always going to find things that you want to do better. Um, I think our defense is going to be a, you know, our, it it goes in. It's run prevention. It's not just pitching. It's run prevention. Defense goes into run prevention, and we'll we'll do a better job preventing runs if if we catch the ball and and make the plays that we're we're supposed to make. Um, you know, making it harder on your pitchers is eventually cost you. Um, so it's. Yeah, I mean, it's something that, um, you know, a couple of the errors in the series to me were not, you know, something, you know, the, uh, the one of the Pena errors and even the Hernan error today are, to me, aren't, aren't really factors. Craig, you uh, made it through the 23 out of 24 with a 12 and 11 record. You know, um, 
you know, that's a, that's a tough task for anybody playing, you know, all those games like that. How did you think you guys did? Uh, you know, we're, I think your, your, your record is your record. Um, you know, I mean, I think the guys are looking forward to an off day tomorrow for sure. Um, they, they've, they've deserved it. Um, we'll be cheering on the Bucks for sure tomorrow. That, that's for sure. Um, good opportunity for a lot of the guys and for us to go see them. So, um, but I think, you know, we, we, we've coming off a good series. You know, a sweep of, sweep of the team is always a good way to go. We kind of got on track at home a little bit. Um, we, we thought we let some of those games slip away against St. Louis. So, so to get on track and kind of capture all these games was a good sign. So, you know, we're going, doing all right and on to the next series. So the Brewers do get a day off after the win today. We'll talk more about uh, Eric Thames. I visited, we did, uh, earlier today with Michael Beller of Sports Illustrated talking about Eric Thames, give you a little bit of that. Talk a little bit about the NBA uh, as the Bucks view tomorrow night against Toronto and the Packers in the first round of the NFL draft tomorrow night. We'll get to all of that and your phone calls if you want, 877-729-1070. 877-729-1070. Back in a moment. This is the Mike Heller Show. going to be a very interesting 28 hours or so from now. That is the Bucks and Raptors in Game 6 tomorrow night at the BMO Harris-Bradley Center in Milwaukee. Bucks lose and their season ends. It's a bright season, and I'm going to maintain what I have said from the beginning of the, of the postseason, that the Bucks are already in the winning column for the 2016-17 year. So what they get from this point, and even in this series, was going to be gravy. They get it to Game Six. Can they force it back to Toronto, and uh, and, and a Game Seven on Saturday? That would be best case scenario, obviously. But either way, I think the future is bright for the Bucks, and they're going to play on the court tomorrow night. And there will be a winner and loser determined, obviously, of the game and maybe the series. Also tomorrow night, the Green Bay Packers will be on the clock with the 29th overall selection of the first round of the National Football League draft. So when tomorrow night is done, here's the the biggest difference. There's no winner and loser. There's subjective winning and losing based on analysts. It's the only element, it's really the element of the draft that I don't love because how do you how do you win and lose tomorrow? I've always said that and different sites do this that after draft like after every draft or after that Thursday draft night, we should grade the, you know, 2012 class, 2014, 13 class, maybe. You know what I mean? Like if we want to put grades on things after the 2017 draft, that's to be our big 2013 show. <laughs> Let's grade how the Packers did four years ago. Right, but people don't like looking back. No, they don't, but that's how it should be done. Yeah, but but they don't want that. They want to get everybody's opinion on what do you think that how do you think they did, and really is is there's a business there's a, a a commodity created by those who opine about what it is that you've done. And then this is the worst. And this is the worst part about it because I just say I don't know, and that's that's the honest answer. I mean, I could sit here and say they got an impact player that's going to, I don't know. Who knows? You don't know. You have a feeling that maybe this guy could be that, 
But to give definitive grades and give hot takes on the draft, I think, is the worst. So here's the ultimate uh, give and take about tomorrow night when the Packers are on the clock at 29. Unless they, of course, trade up unlikely or trade down and out of the first round, is that what will make you happy, what will make you disappointed tomorrow night? And I've said this all week because we've kind of touched on this topic for weeks now, but my opinion on this is that what would make me disappointed is if they draft a running back because I think they need defensive help. What would make me happy is a defensive player. T.J. Watt is one of them, but it doesn't have to be. That's a little bit of a home affinity uh, for Pewaukee's own T.J. Watt. Uh, and it's also related to his brother, J.J., uh, given what he can do. But uh, I, I just would hope that when tomorrow night is done, the Packers have added to their defensive abilities on the field. Earlier today, we visited with Michael Beller of Sports Illustrated. Eric Thames is off to the best start of anybody in Major League Baseball. He is the biggest story on the baseball landscape. And we visited with Sports Illustrated's Michael Beller, who penned a piece on Eric Thames. What is it that you see that is repeatable and not just a super hot start? Yeah, I mean, that's really that's the thing here, uh, Mike. I mean, Eric Thames completely remade himself. And what we've seen from him, I mean, he always has the power, right? I mean, going back to Seattle, going back to Toronto, the raw power was there. But as far as a major league skill, that was basically it. The guy was up there flailing at everything, swinging at everything that was coming his way, rarely getting himself into good counts, rarely getting himself good pitches to hit, and, and looking like he really didn't even have a plan to get himself into those situations. Well, that has completely flipped, and now we have seen a guy who was one of the most aggressive and poorly aggressive hitters in Major League Baseball in his first stint turn into one of the most patient, disciplined guys. And I know it is early in the season, but those are the sorts of things that stabilized early with what we've seen from Eric Thames so far this season. The seventh lowest swing rate in Major League Baseball, the seventh lowest also O swing rate. And what that measures is pitch, swinging at pitches outside of the strike zone. He has done that less than all but six hitters in Major League Baseball so far this season. And those are the sorts of things that are going to stabilize quickly and let him keep this going all season. When a pitcher makes a mistake then in the zone, he is not missing it, and he's forcing them to come into the zone against him because if they're not going to, he's happily going to take his walks. He has shown that this year, and that's why I really believe this is something that's going to be sustainable for him this season. Michael, let me ask you the follow-up question to that. As the book kind of gets out on Thames in the National League second time through, unless it's the Cincinnati Reds, of course, who, <laughs> who don't have a book, um, what is it? What's incumbent upon Eric Thames once the league starts to recognize? What's the biggest challenge that he faces rolling forward? I think the biggest challenge that he's going to face is sort of keeping this approach because he I, he's going to be pitched around much more delicately, even with Ryan Braun and Ryan Braun, you know, sort of getting lost in the shuffle. What a great April he has had! Um, he's going to be pitched more delicately as teams start to uh, see him more than once, and he's not going to get as many pitches to hit no matter how patient he is and no matter what Braun is doing behind him. So it's going to be incumbent upon him, I think, just to stay measured with this approach, to uh, to keep on being willing to take his walk. You know, last year we saw it uh, with Bryce Harper, right? No one's comparing Eric Thames directly to Bryce Harper just yet, but Harper had that torrid April coming off the MVP season, and then there was that series against the Cubs where they basically walked him every single time he came to the plate and that sort of sent him unraveling. A lot of teams started to do that to him. 
and that he was expanding his zone and really trying to make things happen even when pitches weren't coming to him. I think that's what Eric Thames is going to have to do to keep uh, his effectiveness up this year. If teams are going to pitch him, uh, teams are not going to attack him. He's going to have to keep on taking his walks. He's going to get fewer and fewer pitches to hit. He's going to have to keep on making them pay when he does get those pitches. But again, I think because of the way he's been so disciplined and because he had, does have this re- uh, approach that has been repeatable and should continue to be repeatable, I just can't see him really falling off in a dramatic way at all this year. We're talking with Michael Beller of Sports Illustrated. You can follow him on Twitter at mbeller, B-E-L-L-E-R. And uh, as, as we talk a little bit about what Thames has done in your piece, you have some graphics, and it's kind of new world data where baseball is concerned what is it that, if you had to say to somebody who's kind of a newbie to looking at that kind of data, the one thing that jumps off the page at you in what he has done to have this early success is? I would say he's really quieted everything down, and uh, I'll give a hat tip to uh, the Brewers hitting coach, Darnell Coles, who I talked to uh, for this story. Uh, he said he credited um, Eric James's uh, head movement, that he uh, was sort of all over the place, making it much harder for him to identify pitches uh, during his first stint in the majors, and that he was able to spend the three years in Korea really sort of tearing down his entire swing and then building it back up from the ground up. When you get to the top of that, he has been able to keep his head very level. And if you watch him, and you can still find some of that footage from 2011 and from 2012. And if you watch that hitter and compare him to the hitter that the Brewers now have, uh, this season, they don't even really look like the same guy. I mean, it's such a quieter stance. It's a much quieter load sequence before he goes into his swing. He used to be way wide open, still is a little bit open, but not quite as much. Everything is just refined, and that's all leading back uh, to all the success that he is having at the plate. I mean, if you really, if you have the time, go back and look at what he did in 2011 and 2012, and you will see a completely different hitter here in 2017. Michael, what was the market for Eric Thames, and why did Milwaukee have the answer? I know they didn't see him in person. They just did it all on video. Mm, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I know that there were a few teams chasing him, um, and, uh, you know, the one thing I think they were able to offer him uh, is an everyday uh, spot in the lineup. I mean, you know, some of these things uh, sort of happen uh, almost by stakes. Uh, the Brewers are sort of lucky, at least in this way, to be in the position they're in where they were able to go out and court Eric Thames and say, we have an everyday spot for you. And, you know, maybe a contending team wasn't able to do that uh, with Thames. I mean, I know the Rockies were interested, but after all the moves they made, you know, bringing in uh, Ian Desmond and and some of the other things they did, they really didn't have a spot for Thames. They really couldn't do anything with him. Uh, Cleveland maybe could have been a team that would have been interested, but again, a team trying to get back to the World Series. They went out they make the big splash with Edwin Encarnacion. Suddenly, that takes them out of the running. Milwaukee, still being in this very exciting but clearly rebuilding phase, was able to offer him a starting gig. And now, you start to project forward, and not only is this guy a great story in 2017, but still, even at 30 years old, I mean, he's got a lot of major league shelf life still ahead of him. And now he goes from being just a great story in 2017 and the guy you're taking a flyer on to maybe being a big part of your team when the Brewers are able to to contend and be relevant once again. So just a great, great move by David Stern. Yeah, and I'm going to circle back to almost our beginning comments here, Michael, and that is, uh, and by the way, he's Michael Beller of Sports Illustrated joining us on the Mike Heller Show. He penned a piece on Eric Thames that ran at SI.com yesterday. I think it's uh, really well done. But one of the storylines about Thames is that 
Some just want this to last a little longer before they buy into it. Yet you've looked at some of those metrics and and watching the swings and see that it's repeatable. Uh, the the follow-up to that is that it also brings in questions of PED use, but that's more built on um, being cynical as consumers of baseball. When somebody does something that's extraordinary, we get cynical and wonder if it's being aided. It's really insulting, I think, to Eric Thames that he even has to answer these questions. I know the Cubs... Uh, we're sort of the first to bring it up, and you know John Lackey and, and Chris Bosio didn't necessarily say those words, but sort of you know dog whistle hinted at those. Uh, go back and watch the uh, the home run that Eric Thames hit off John Lackey, and uh, ask John Lackey if that's one of the better cutters he's thrown in his career. The ball that basically just spun up there, and that Thames stayed on, drove to the opposite field, exactly what you should do against what was a garbage pitch from John Lackey. I mean, I wish we didn't have to deal with this. Uh, you know, Jake Arrieta, you know, the Cubs should know first uh, firsthand, Jake Arrieta had to deal with this same trash last season. I wish we didn't have to talk about it. There should not be a market for making unfounded accusations, especially uh, with the testing regime that is in place for Major League Baseball. But, uh, you know, such is life, I guess, after uh, the steroid boom of the late 90s and the early 2000s. And I love the way uh, Thames is, is handling it. Hopefully uh, he doesn't have to deal with this too much longer but love uh, the quotes he gave about it yesterday yeah. and the fact that he's still able for now to laugh it off. Last quick thought on that. Um, does Thames' success and its potential to be repeatable, does it change who the Brewers are, and are they then better than advertised? I don't know if it necessarily changes who they are this season. I think they'll sort of be that team uh, that no contender, no one who's maybe uh, trying to chase down a wild card spot in the National League wants to play in September because I really do think this is going to be a fearsome offense all season long, just wait till Jonathan PR starts to really get going again. So I think that they can at least have that um, you know, most uh, intimidating also-ran uh, status. But I do think that if you have a bat like this in the middle of your lineup and still just 30 years old, I mean, he's got plenty of uh, Major League life left ahead of him. I do think that as good as he is, it could speed up the timetable for when they are relevant again, not only because of what he brings to the table individually, but because of, you know, now David Stearns looks at this overall roster and he thinks, okay, now we've got to answer at first base, and not just an answer at first base, but potentially someone who's a premier power hitter. We're ready to make a splash maybe a year sooner than we would have been. So I definitely think he could speed them up a little bit in the long term. For this season, I still think they're just going to be, you know, that, a fun offensive team that doesn't have enough uh, on the mound to really compete this year. That was Michael Beller of Sports Illustrated, SI.com, SI Now, uh, and really good stuff. Uh, interesting piece on Eric Thames, and a lot of graphs and charts on the analytics of baseball and what they're seeing in Eric Thames and how it's different from the last time he was in the major leagues before he went to Korea and kind of refined what he's done. Uh, he did have a hit today, one for three in a game, a couple of walks as well, then left in the eighth inning with a bit of a hamstring tightness issue. He says it's no big deal. Craig Council says it's no big deal. It probably helps that tomorrow is an off day before Atlanta comes to town. Yeah, it's perfect timing, right, for an off day for Thames to injure that hamstring. Do you think he keeps? He can't keep this up? No, he can't keep this pace up, but I do think he's going to have a highly productive year. 41 home runs or more is what you're calling, or yeah. over 41. You'll be, you said yeah, you'll I beat the, Chris I set Carter. the over-under at 41.5, and, and I said it would be over. So, uh, And you took the bet. I took the under. Yeah. I thought at some level maybe pitchers will figure him out, teams will figure him out, 
And add on top of that, you just can't keep up this type of rapid pace. Hey, where are you going to be on the show tomorrow? In Madison. You're going to be you're going to be in studio in Madison. Yes. Drew is going to going to be in studio in Milwaukee, and then heading over to the BMO Harris Bradley Center for six o'clock tip. Bucks Raptors. He's going to be maybe a little bit late there. Well, I he, guess he gets off at yeah, five fifteen. Done. Yeah. Uh, he'll be done early. You know where I'm going to be. Yes, I do. And I'm going to be hanging out with Marcus Path and Justin Hall and the fine folks at the Score in Appleton. I will be at Scuba's Poorhouse on Wisconsin Avenue. Uh, I'll be there a little before two o'clock and all the way till six, and then uh, after six is when they can actually I can actually take part in the the company's name, Poorhouse. They can pour me a couple of ice cold uh, drinks, uh, some beers to have after the show's done. Right, I mean that's yeah. So, I can't, you know, how cool they can't that be, be pouring me beers while I'm doing the show. You get to drink a couple beers, yeah. watch a playoff game, yeah, in Bucks a must and win situation, and keep an eye on the NFL draft. So uh, we invite you to come see us, uh, come see me tomorrow at Scuba's Poor House on Wisconsin Avenue in Appleton. Be there shortly after about one thirty or so, but on the air from two until six, and then sticking around. The score has a special draft show after. So do we with Jimmy Cuska. Anchored from Green Bay and Packers headquarters. Yeah, if you're in Milwaukee or Madison, you'll hear that special one-hour show with Jimmy Cuska. And then after that, we've got national draft coverage. And when the Packers make their pick at number 29, Jimmy's going to interrupt programming and give you the latest from Titletown. Yeah, and we're going to have Chad Ryder on the show, NFL.com. He's their draft expert. He joined us today. He'll join us again tomorrow. Marcus Paff will join us tomorrow on the program. We'll have a lot to talk about. Uh, Bucks tomorrow night against the Raptors, and certainly the NFL draft, and what the Green Bay Packers may or may not do at the back end of the first round of the draft tomorrow night. Oh, it's going to be a fun day. So I'm going home, John. I'm going to go home to Appleton tomorrow. Looking forward to that. We'll see you, those listening in and around the Fox River Valley, see you at Scuba's Poor House on Wisconsin Avenue. I'll be there at 2 o'clock. We'll see you then. Have a great Wednesday night. Thanks for listening to The Mike Heller Show. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.